Welcome back to the Wheel Takes Sally podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and I'm joined by Andy. Up? Um, today's episode is going to be a review of the Western and Eastern Conference Finals. Um, we're going to continue on with our um, round reviews like normal. And then at the end of this episode, we'll also do a, uh, uh, or towards the end of the episode, I should say, we'll do a um, Stanley Cup Finals preview. Um, because now we know who's in the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, we continue to appreciate all your support. Um, numbers keep steadily going up and staying, which is perfect. Uh, I love to see that. Um, it seems whenever we post on Instagram, a lot more views um, show up as well. So um, I will continue to let everybody know through Instagram that we've posted an episode, and I'll continue to even tell my friends uh, through Cortland or who go to Cortland um, that, you know, I've dropped an episode so they can listen to it on, on uh, Spotify. But without further ado, like I said, we'll jump right into these uh, series. And as usual, we like to start with the series that ended first. So in this case, we'll talk about Colorado in um, Ed, the Edmonton Oilers series that ended in a sweep. Um, this to me was no surprise. I felt like at a certain point, um, the Oilers' depth could only take them so far. Um, you know, you can only expect Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl to do so much for you and to to yeah. be the brunt end of your scoring to the point where if they have an off night or if they're contained by Colorado, um, specifically Kale McCarr and Devon Taves, you're going to ask the rest of that lineup to step up. And really the only exactly. guys that could step up was... Zach Hyman. And I mean, <laughs> that was pretty much it for the Oilers. Um, you know, I, it, it kind of drives me nuts that Zach Cassian kind of fits himself into that top six on that roster uh, because <laughs> by no means is he even it, it's nothing against the guy, but it's like, by no means is he anybody who should be on a wing with Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl. Mm -hmm. um, I get that he's a physical presence for those guys. He's a good four checker. There's no doubt about it. But you know that that's not the guy that you that's should have up in your top six. Line are four now. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it shows how bad your depth is if a guy like that is in your top six. Now again, I understand that he was kind of um, utilized in the sense that he could be top six, bottom six. I understand that, but for the most part, when it seemed like uh, um, the Oilers were struggling. They would put Leon Dreisaitl up to the first line with Connor McDavid. And then in order to fill that hole, they'd have to shift Cassian up to what would have been Dreisaitl's line in order to make things work. So again, no surprise that uh, the Colorado Avalanche um, defeated the Edmonton Oilers. Um, and, you know, we talked about scoring depth and the issues that the Oilers had. It could only take them so far. But we didn't mention goaltending too. I think it was a combination of the oh, Oilers' yeah. lack of depth and their goaltending that ultimately. I was just, I was just about to it. add. Yeah, I was just about to add. I think it's definitely a two-pronged approach. I think yeah, their depth caught up to them. I think more importantly, their goaltending caught up to them because their depth was there <clears throat> in their Calgary series, and if their depth wasn't there, depth wasn't there for that. I don't know that they come out of that one. 
Um, you know, Evander Kane went off in that series, and, and a lot of guys ended up going off in that series, but they couldn't get it done in Colorado. And, um, you know, Colorado, and then the other thing, going back to your point of the depth, uh, not only do you need the depth for just when those guys, those top-heavy uh, guys, you know, start getting into a lull or a slump of some kind, but you need them for the playoffs because teams build plans around your top guys, right? So Colorado, they all did. Calgary, Colorado, and and uh, who was the other team? Who was the first round? Kings. Yeah, that would be the Kings, yep. Los Angeles. Okay, so, you know, all three of those teams know they're going up against McDavid and Dreisaitl. That's no secret to anybody. And don't, so don't you think these teams are going to plan around that? And, you know, they do it in the NFL a lot. They plan in the NBA where they plan schemes around one position, like a quarterback or like a LeBron James. You have to work around that guy who's generating all that offense for one team and try to shut that down. And so your depth comes in handy, especially the longer you stay in the playoffs. You know, the longer you stay in, the more footage a team has to prepare for those two guys. Uh, Calgary probably showed a lot of weaknesses with McDavid and Dreisaitl. And when you watch the film, I'm sure it's obvious. And Colorado's making notes of that stuff. And they're telling their, especially because they were coming off of a, of a uh, of a quick wait. Did the Calgary series go? It only went five games, right? Correct. So Calgary went five, and then Colorado went six with the six. Okay, so they had a decent break, and not a decent amount of time to review all that footage and get a good game plan going, which I think is exactly what happened. Because then you turn back to the round one. Calgary didn't have all that time. Calgary went seven games in round one, and they had to turn right around and start playing Edmonton, I think, within a couple days of their series ending. So there's some, you know, prep time going in there where maybe that's why Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl were held off the score sheet so much. So, yeah, I guess I'm just really hammering home that point of the depth. The depth scoring is, is almost mandatory. There's a lot of components of teams that make championship runs, and even teams that make championship runs that don't actually win. Um, they all, you know, they always share, you know, characteristics. Last year was a little bit of a fluke, I think, with Montreal showing up. But aside from that, your team in the East is going to be pretty similarly built to your team in the West. And the further you progress through the play, the postseason, the more similar you're going to start seeing that that team makeup. You know, it's going to sort of funnel it down to where it is in the Stanley Cup, where. It's teams that have depth. It's teams that have elite goaltending, and their blue line is solid. And you know, it's all these pieces that culminate together to to bring a team to that uh, stage. And so, yeah, it's just unfortunate. I, I I know you mentioned. I don't know if you mentioned it. I don't know if you were saying it as far as the outcome of the series, win or lose, or whether it was the sweep. But I was pretty shocked that Edmonton got swept. I did at least think that they were going to pull out one and maybe two, especially because the St. Louis Blues were able to, right? I mean, they almost were able to turn that series on its head. Um, and, so, and yeah. that was after they lost Bennington as well. It, another good point, man. Uh, you know, they were on they were on a backup goaltender. 
and they were still able to put wins together. So yeah, I was really not shocked, but I, I was I was expecting to watch a little bit more of that series. I thought that was going to play yes. out a little longer than just the four games. Okay. So to clarify, um, whether I was not surprised that they got swept or lost, it's more towards that they were they eventually lost. I gotcha. Um, I guess it is a little surprising that they were swept, but a combination of, like we said, their scoring depth plus their goaltending. Um, the goaltending you know, was what really did it for me. Yeah, I, and I'm, a, I'm I knew actually, they weren't going to come out of that series with a Mike Smith. I'm sorry, it's no, no disrespect it's, to him, but it's a, it's a feat. It's a feat to get to put a 38 year old guy in there who really hasn't had any success outside of the stage he's at. Um. It's it's tough for that for a guy like that to be able to to take a series or to at least keep your team in a series, a team that's struggling offensively. It's it just compounds on onto him. So there's and and more so um, to the goaltending. I have the box score for every game. Okay. And I'll I'll quickly mention um, Mike Smith's save percentages for each. Uh, game and and it is it's staggering as far as performance so the first game this was a to refresh everyone's memory this was a 8-6 final this was a back and forth game um i believe this is uh a game that at the abs were leading i don't know i think it was four to one at one point and then five to two at one point and then the game was tied at five and then i think the abs regain their two goal lead. Yeah, the Oilers pulled within one and then the Avalanche I think scored an empty netter or scored a very late goal to make it 8-6. So it was a wild game and by no means did any team look good. But as far as Mike Smith goes, he had a 760 save percentage. Uh, he faced 25 shots. Whoa. 6 went in, so he made 19 saves. Koskinen had to relieve him and Koskinen went in and uh, made 21 saves. Uh, sorry, he faced 21 shots uh, and made 20 saves and let one in. So he posted a 952. Now, after that game, I was a little shocked that um, Jay Woodcroft did not go to Koskinen uh, just to start game two. I felt like it was a very, very, very low risk, high reward outcome if you had Miko Koskinen standing on his head in game two to tie the series yeah. at one, split it at in Colorado to then go home to possibly, you know, win. I was, I was surprised he didn't go with Koskinen, especially after the performance he gave him. Um, Cause he had 32 minutes. He had 32 minutes of ice time. So he played more minutes than Mike Smith faced four less shots than him and let five less shots in. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, moving on to game. Well, two. actually real quick, another yeah, point it. to put Koskinen in for game two, you're in Colorado. You know, why don't you give Mike Smith the rest? Give him the rest and put him back in in front of a home team crowd because maybe that's a better way to get him back into the into the crease there. Um, I agree with you with that sentiment that uh, if I was a, a reporter in the press conference, that's definitely something I would be approaching that. Woodcroft with. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, it's fair, too. Because um, I, I don't think I think Koskinen had a bad rep. And I think that his, um, uh, what am I trying to say? His 
position with the team, his sort of, um, I, I guess his position with the team, for lack of a better term, it was known that the Oilers weren't going to re-sign Koskinen. Um, they okay. had no interest in re-signing him. Um, I recently saw a report just the other day that I believe he signed in, I forget which professional ice hockey league it was, but it's an overseas league, so he's no longer in the NHL. And so it was known that Koskinen was not going to re-sign with the Oilers. So his uh, his outlook with the team was not – there was no foreseeable future with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that might be a reason why you wouldn't start him. It's like, hey, why would I start this guy if he's not going to be with us? But you had nothing to lose. Exactly, was, dude. You're it, trying it was, to win this championship. Desperate times call for desperate measures, and looking at Koskinen – isn't exactly a desperate decision in my no. opinion just be what are the, you letting the, po- the politics play into that i mean right no exactly mm, that's that might be one that that franchise looks back on in 10 15 years and, and goes uh, what were we thinking there we got to learn from our mistakes and you know again to your point mike smith needed some rest i believe he made every single start for the oilers i could be wrong but I do not believe Koskinen made a start in the playoffs for the Oilers at any point. Um, don't quote me on that because he could have possibly <laughs> started a game in that Calgary series because that Calgary series was nuts, even though it was, it was only wild. five games. Yeah. Um, but moving on to game two, and also before I moved on to game two, I'll quickly say that I do believe Mike Smith had better numbers in Rogers' um, place. I, I do believe okay. you're right about that. I think he played better at home. So, again, more reason to put Koskinen in that. But Mike Smith in game two uh, faced 40 shots. He saved 36, let four in. He posted a 900 in that game. Um, Moving on to game three, uh, the Avs won this game. Oh, and by the way, the Avs won that game two for nothing. So they got shut out. Uh, Game three, the Avalanche win this four to two. Mike Smith posted a 929 save percentage. Spoiler alert, this was his best save percentage in this series. Um, it was his best save percentage in this series. He faced 42 shots, saved 39, and let three in. And then finally in game four, which was a 6-5 overtime uh, to complete the sweep, Mike Smith posted an 857 save percentage, facing 42 shots, letting 36 in. And... Um, or sorry, he saved Whoa. 36, <laughs> letting six in. <laughs> hey, that wouldn't have been that easy. mesh. This guy. <laughs> Swiss cheese. <laughs> no, he, uh, he saved 36 and let six in. Um, I also want to quickly mention, because I, I think that this series really kind of opened people's eyes to the defensive woes that Darnell Nurse has, um, especially mm. because he's the Oilers' number one uh, defender he's seen as that defender he's being paid to be that defender all about the money it's all about the money and here's the thing and i'm gonna you're a human calculator so you can do this by far better than me so i'm gonna give you all his plus minuses in these four games and you add his totals up all right okay all right so game four he was a he was flat he was zero so nice, he's easy to start. uh game three he was a negative Wait, he was he was zero in a four goal shutout. Uh, let me go back. He was zero in a game that was six five. 
Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, no. So he was zero in a game that was a six-five loss. Okay, never mind. Um, in a game that he it was four-two, he was a negative one. So so far in total, he's a negative one in this series. In game two, this was his worst. I believe he was a negative three. Yep, he's a negative three in a four-nothing loss. So he's now a negative four in total this series. And then in game one, he was a negative two. So a negative six in total, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. All right. So, again, your number one defender, um, he, he has to post either a, a plus or a flat number in order for me to look at him and be able to say not only is he a great offensive producer, but he's also a, you know, outstanding um, defender. A negative six in a four-game series, Whoa. which I understand, um, you know, he's got to defend the, their top players like uh, McKinnon, Landis, Ranton, and I understand that. It's a big ask. But Kale McCarr on the other but end. But he's getting was, paid the money to do that too, Nick. It's not a big ask if he's getting the checks to to compensate him for it. Which I don't is think why, it's a big ask. Which is why I preface this with the salary he makes. He's being paid right. to be that big defender. So you post a negative six in four games, that's you know that's unacceptable for for the amount of money you're getting paid. Um, and like I said, uh, the point I was making uh, while you uh, you mentioned his pay was Kale McCarr was asked to defend the best possible uh, hockey player in the world. Connor sure. McDavid, and he was able to do so. You know, yeah. it, he was, he's much younger than McDavid. Um, I believe off the top of my head, he's got to be 23. Um, I'll quickly look, but it's a big ask for that kid who made his, I think he made his season debut either this season or two seasons ago. Um, and he's only making, he's making 9,000 or 9 million right now, but I, I'm pretty sure that was an extension from a previous uh yeah, he was holding he out for the Hamilton contract to go through, wasn't he? They all I were. I mean, Nurse yeah, they, was. Dude, no, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is what is it? Um, Dougie Hamilton was going to be the precedent for every defenseman in that offseason. For the year, and, the, the defenseman that year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like Chinese New Year's, the year of the rat, the year of the um, tiger, stuff like Monkey. that. Yeah. Well, this this new year was the year of the defenseman, and boy, did they get paid. Um, and then obviously his age, I forgot to mention, but he is he was born October 30th, 1999. So off the top of my head, that would make him 22, if I'm not mistaken. He's the same age as you. Yeah, yep, because he hasn't had a birthday this year, so he doesn't count. So yeah, he's 22 years old asking to defend um, – uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl at some points, because like I said, they kind of flip-flop between lines whenever the Oilers mm -hmm. were struggling. And that was a big ask for him. And he's getting paid that big money to do so, and he's doing it. And, and not only is it, yeah. he defending, but again, he's also producing. Um, it's being talked about. He's He could possibly be the um, Conn Smythe winner this season. Uh, it's being talked about that he is probably the next best defenseman since Bobby Orr. Um, these are very, very big accolades for a guy who, like I said, is only 22 right now in his third or second year in the NHL. You know, that is, that is huge. And again, when, when you're getting paid bid money like that, um, you need to be able to at least have some accolades here. 
and Darnell Nurse just he he looked especially bad. I forget which game it was. I know it was in Colorado, and I can't remember if it was game one or two. But they, I remember watching the intermissions, and the uh, broadcast would go over just like miscues, miscommunications, and he was on the ice for almost every one of these. Um, it would be like both line mates, both defensemen went to go for a change, and it basically created enough space for Colorado to just come in on Mike Smith and either make a, a two-on-one pass or make a quick shot and score. You know, you, you can't be doing this in, in the conference finals. It looked very sloppy by the Oilers. Um, goaltending wasn't there. I thought defense wasn't there. And again, offense, Connor McDavid and Leanne Dreisaitl could only do so much. Um, so it, I guess with all that being said, it's not a surprise that they necessarily got shocked, but given how they handled the Calgary Flames and the LA Kings, um, you know, it, it, I it guess it was pretty shocking to see that uh, the Oilers couldn't even muster one win in the series. Um, I agree. And, and again, I forgot to mention it into Vander Kane as far as the scoring depth goes. So I appreciate you mentioning him because he's another guy that definitely stepped up for Edmonton. Um, and boy, is the, the latest rumors I've heard with Evander Kane is uh, Ken Holland is likely going to re-sign him. I yeah. don't know the term or the or the money he'll get, but I imagine he's going to get a you know a pretty decent pretty contract. Yeah, I think he's going to be pretty cap friendly. Yeah, uh, he's he's definitely going to be sought after though. There's there's no way that the 31 other teams in the NHL are not calling Ken Holland, offering them trades, offering them prospects, draft picks for him to play. Um, I bet you on the trade well, market. Was he a free agent though? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I believe he is. I believe he, um, his term, wow. his contract with San Jose was terminated with the, uh, with the mess that came out with his ex-wife and the gambling uh-huh. and all that. I believe they bought him out which made him a free agent. And then the Oilers signed him to a, um, a one-year deal. I will, I so, will clarify that if you want to say something here um, quick. So I would just, argue, yeah, with, while, we, while you clarify that, I would just argue that if he's about to be a free agent, I don't think anybody's calling up Ken Holland for a trade. But I think a lot of people are calling Evander Kane and Evander Kane's agent <clears throat> to – to maybe sway him in a, in a way. But I don't know. I got to imagine if that, if first of all, if he re-signs with Edmonton, I think it'll be very cap friendly. And I think that there's a lot of reasons to assume that. One of them being the fact that he has a history of, of not handling large amounts of money well. For those of you who don't know, he's had gambling issues that are known to the public over the course of of his career, his NHL career. So I think that that is going to be a contributing factor to his re-signing. And I think, I mean, it's, it's unavoidable. You can't, you can't be paid to, you can't be a guy who is, who's going to expect to be paid for what he brings to a team when you've got Connor McDavid in the same locker room as you and Leon Dreisaitl right next to him. So because of those two things, I I don't want to say league minimum, but I want to say league minimum plus or not minus, but plus half a million. 
I, I wouldn't I wouldn't really think that he'd get much more than what's the league minimum now? Is it eight hundred thousand? Uh, I believe league minimum is seven thousand uh seven hundred thousand dollars. Okay, I wasn't sure if it changed so or not. Three quarters um, of a million, I think. I think. So maybe so here, maybe he gets nine hundred, nine fifty. I don't even know if he gets a million, man. I mean, I know that the and maybe it all comes down to the term too. I, so I guess like, to talk about value, just so that way people have a reference of how much he's making now, uh, it is a one-year deal that he was under that was signed after the season started. Okay. Um, so his value was $1.375 million. But because that was signed after the uh, season started, he got – retro yeah he got signed it's it, it's under bonuses he's got bonuses so that pushed him up to 2.1 million dollars roughly um but again the the cap hit was the 2.1 but as far as value goes it was the 1.3 because i think when they talk about value um bonuses aren't included on that because okay. again you have to <clears throat> those bonuses have to hit in order for you to get them essentially if that makes sense um, think of it like a conditional round pick where if a third round pick will become a second round pick if the team they were traded to makes it to the conference finals, something like that. If it doesn't hit, then it's just going to stay a third rounder. Um, if he doesn't, um, if a player doesn't uh, reach their signing bonus condition, then they won't get paid that money. Um, but yeah, so if if you want to talk about value, he he probably will easily get more than a million dollars. I think um, there's an argument to be made he could even be in the in the two to three million dollar range, in my opinion. Um, but again, to your point, what would really determine value is the length that the contract is signed. Um, that to me would be a a an indicator of can he make. Um, you know, depending on how long the term is, will he make, you know, more money than he is now? Will he make $2 million or will he make, you know, $3 million if it's a two-year deal? It it just depends mm-hmm. on the term. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, starting next season, his birthday is August 2nd, 1991. So he'll be 30. Or no, he'll be 31. 29, 31. 31. He'll be 31 the start of next season. So when you're 31, this is kind of like prime age to sign. I hate to say it, but it's prime age nowadays, it seems, to sign a seven-year, eight-year deal, which is nuts. Um, there's a it lot is, of players. But, but he's a unique guy, no, too. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely but no, not. I totally agree. Like what, And you know what? I think part of the problem is the entry-level contract. Because every guy that's worth it gets a three-year entry-level contract, which keeps him on a really low salary, almost no impact to your to your cap in that situation. And then when they come off of it, because you've had that ability for three years to play with your money, there's not as much to pull from there to give that guy what they deserve or what they are worth, I guess, whatever their um, fair market value is. And those guys are put in a position now where if they've seen what has been built around them and they like it, they kind of need to pull back on what they think they're worth or, or under, 
um, or take, you know, accept something that is in their mind or the market's mind an undervalued contract. And then that is usually like a, like a four to six year thing. And so, yeah, it then puts you right into your early thirties when you're like first big break contract, uh, can like, can happen more or less. And unfortunately in that situation, you need to find a team who needs somebody who needs an asset that has been in the league for some time and who can kind of take what they have currently to the next level, but also have that money to be able to, to shell it out. So, um, yeah, it's and you know, just with the general sense that NHL is the lowest salary cap among the major leagues is also like a third factor that you're fighting there. So it is funny how that lines up, but I, I would agree with you in that sentiment. A, Kane is right in that age wheelhouse where, you know, if if things went differently leading up to this point, who who knows what kind of contract he could he could be talking about right now or discussing. Right. right. Um, and I, I guess when I said that it's possible these teams could call Ken Holland for a trade would be he gets signed to a very team friendly contract and you know come the deadline or come the off season people are offering um a prospect a first rounder and then possibly a second rounder to get him either at the start of the season or at the trade deadline depending on where the Oilers fall um in the standings cuz you know goaltending is going to be a huge question for uh the Oilers because I don't think Mike Smith is going to resign. I think it's possible he retires. And then, you, like I said earlier in the podcast, uh, Koskinen has already went to an overseas league and signed, I don't know, I, I want to say it was a three or two year contract. So you don't, you wouldn't have Smith and you wouldn't have Koskinen. So it's a little, it's a toss up, you know, I know Stuart Skinner is, has been in their uh, organization to um, develop as a goaltender, but you know, if he's ready to start this season, then they'll go to him. But then again, who's their backup if he gets injured? So there is a big question mark with this Oilers team as far as goaltending goes. And, you know, with the way things are, goaltending was probably one of the key components why you got eliminated. And if you lose both Koskinen and Smith, like you've already have lost Koskinen, I, uh, I I I gotta imagine that if Ken Holland gets the right offer, you know, if if people are willing to trade a goaltender to get Evander Kane, maybe that's something that can uh, antagonize or influence Ken Holland to to trade him. Um, and but again, that would have to be like towards the trade deadline to sort of grasp where the Oilers are and in terms of uh, goaltending, even before the season. So. It'll be an interesting scenario, um, but, you know, who who knows? Uh, I'm sure that uh, if the Oilers are in such position with goaltending, they're talking to, um, uh, what's his name, Jack Campbell of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, I heard rumors that the contract talks with him and the Toronto Maple Leafs have slowed down. Uh, they've progressively slowed down. Um, and really? also her, yeah, yeah, right. That, so I believe around January 1st of this year, um, Jack Campbell 
uh, offered a contract extension of an AAV, I think in the ballpark of five to six million dollars. Um, I don't I don't know if that was comparable to what uh, Matt Murray got when he went to Ottawa. I don't know if that was like the comparable because I know he signed a six by six. I also think that Bennington has a six by six uh, as well. So I don't Which know. Which is if a decent. Was... That's a decent goaltending contract no. for those of you who don't know. That's a beautiful goaltending goaltending yeah. contract. And of those three goaltenders, I think Campbell has potential to be the best of the three. Bennington has is, been is kind probably of the most likely to be worth it, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I exactly. totally agree. Yeah, That's, Bennington has oh been shaky. Gosh. Yeah. So, yep, it looks like Bennington did sign a six by six. Um, so again, I think that that uh, cap hit that he offered in January was comparable to Jordan Biddington and what Matt Murray got. Um, what ended up happening was January 1st, they go into a new year. Jack Campbell and Peter Morazic just go into a slump. Um, they were the two worst duoed goaltenders of from January 1st, I think, to the end of the season. I could be wrong about that, but there was a period of time where that duo was the worst duo in the NHL. And I know we mentioned that on previous podcasts because I even mentioned saying, you know, that meant that uh, Devin Tokarski and Craig Anderson were a better duo than what the Leafs had. That meant that the Arizona Coyotes, who I couldn't even name their two goaltenders. I know one of them is a, um, I think it starts with a V. It's like Valkamoff or something like that. Yeah. But, but, you know, these two randos on Arizona with how bad they are, were a better duo than, than uh, um, Toronto. But again, just to sort of refocus what I was trying to mention, if things don't pan out with um, him and Toronto, maybe if he agrees to sign with Edmonton, Toronto trades um, uh, Campbell to Edmonton to get uh, Kane, because I don't think that'd be a bad trade for uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And obviously, uh, it wouldn't be a one-for-one. One. Toronto would definitely have to offer more because, A, there's more salary going one way than the other, and, mm-hmm. B, um, you know, it, it's – Kane is going to be worth a lot. There, I can't imagine that Toronto is going to be the only team that wants interest in him. So there's not too many options for goaltending as well. I did hear another rumor that um, – John, John Gibson in uh, Anaheim, they're not too happy with him. Uh, so it's likely he either moves or um, signs somewhere else. I don't know mm-hmm. if he's a free agent, but I heard rumors that him and the Ducks organization uh, are not too pleased with uh, his play. He's currently under contract until 2027 uh, with a 6.4 salary cap hit. So Again, goaltending is going to be a big uh, department that the Oilers are going to need to make an upgrade in. Um, I don't know where they would go for that. Uh, It's kind of tough. I don't think there's a um, goaltender now that I'd say, boom, bring him to the Oilers and he'd find success. Um, Because I don't know the biggest name on the uh, free agent market that's a goaltender. I'll quickly check if you have anything to add. But uh, I mean, yeah, we did talk about Ottinger being a restricted free agent. So I don't know what those restrictions are. Um, I don't know where UC Soros contract is, but that is a name that I like. 
I'm just naming off guys that uh, you know me. I've been shopping for a goaltender for you know the better half of five or six years now. So um, that is one position that I do notice a lot when we play these other teams. And Soros is one that stands out. He's always been one that stands out. Ottinger, after this postseason performance, certainly stands out. Campbell's up there. Um, Gibson, not so much. But he will be, to your point, an available goaltender, whether or not um, whether or not it's the right fit or, or an elite categorization of it. A team that needs a goaltender needs a goaltender, right? So yeah, get, you can throw Gibson into that mix. Um, so and Gibson might be a budget move too, if if it if it comes down to that, like if it comes down to the cap issue. Gibson could be a budget move, maybe. Um, so Gibson is under contract at the 6.4 salary cap hit until 2027. Um, mm. So he would, mind. He, he could be a budget <laughs> option if they could retain salary on some sort of Good deal. Point. But I actually pulled up the uh, NHL free agency and I narrowed it down to goaltenders only. Um, I'll list a couple that I think might be an interest i've already mentioned jack campbell you have thomas grice that that could be an interest darcy kemper might be the biggest name on this list mm. but but he's gonna get how, signed. yeah he's there's no way that joe sack is gonna let him walk they're so. not gonna let that go to the market no and and if you want to talk about budget options and darcy kemper is at a 4.5 million dollar cap hit right now <laughs> so you talk about budget He'll probably get paid this offseason. He'll he'll probably get a raise to, like I said, right. very similar circumstances. Yeah, very similar to what Murray and uh, Bennington got. He'll probably get that $6 million I agree. ballpark. Uh, the only other name I, I will mention, but again, I, I just don't think that this is a good option, is Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, I mentioned him because he's, he's a big name as well, but he's getting to a point where he's 37 and a year. half years old. Yeah, this was the year to has, do that. I don't know if he's got a year left in him, and even if he does, you'd only he'd be a rental. You'd have him for one year, and then you'd have exactly. to part ways with him at the end. So it's tough. Like I said, there's there's really no market for the uh, goaltenders this offseason. Uh, I wasn't wrong in that assumption. Darcy Kemper is definitely going to get re-signed. Jack Campbell, again, could possibly be re-signed. Um, could end up somewhere else, but until then, he's at least Toronto's property right now. The only other names on this list, like I just, I don't see them going after. There's Yaroslav Halak, Corey <laughs> Schneider, Braden Holpe, Martin Jones, David Riddick, Casey DeSmith, um, Phoenix Copley, Malcolm Subban, Keith Kincaid, Kevin Lankinen. Yeah. Carter Hutton was on here, but he just recently retired. Louis Domingue. There's no – you you can't turn to the market in order to fix your, your uh, no, goaltending You, you might need to make a trade, yeah. You, you're going to have to pull from your minor system, man. Like Carolina, I sent you that post from that Chicago Wolves game that – Yes, yep. You know, if, if anybody else – like if anybody else has a pipeline goalie like that, you might, you might want to pull him up early, which is – I don't want to go on that tangent i won't go there we've been on the oilers in the colorado series for quite a while now so no yeah that's fair (laughs) um 
yeah, we'll, we'll wrap up the uh, Colorado Edmonton series. Um, it's unfortunate because we didn't really talk a lot about Colorado, but we'll definitely talk more about them when we go to the previews because I think that's more appropriate. Um, yeah. I like to talk about the teams that obviously get eliminated. So with that being said, we'll now introduce um, the Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Rangers series. Um from the get-go, I really thought that the New York Rangers had a chance to to really take this series over. Um, oh, yeah. I have, like I said, I have multiple friends who are Rangers fans. They're somewhat new to the sport. And, um, you know, they're asking me, like, you know, who do you think will win in this series? And I'm like, I hate to say it, but I think it's going to be the Lightning. Um, I just think that overall they they – your goaltending is pretty much tied. You know, Shesterkin and Vasilevsky are relatively Wash. like the same goaltender, you know, day in and day out. In fact, you could probably even make the argument Shesterkin might be a little bit better than Vasilevsky, which is probably a hot take. But, you know, it's again, it was a small sample size that I Shesterkin's think, been in. I think in this season, that's a fair statement. I yes. think before this season, it's a hot take, but I think we're right at that sweet spot now where Shesterkin is right on the bubble there with Vasilevsky to the point where he might even be a couple steps ahead of them. It's not all yeah. that much, but it's enough to be ahead. So I don't think that's a hot take, for, especially for this season. I know he took the L in the series, but I'm... You know me. I can't say enough good stuff about Igor Shosturkin. Oh, d- dude, the two of us, me and him, we're his <laughs> biggest fans, and we're not even Rangers fans. <laughs> I I first learned about him in the playoffs, in the in the play-in series for COVID, and he was in, up in the stands by himself because it was Lundqvist last year, and so he was getting the starts, and I think Shosturkin was out for COVID or something. And they yeah. were telling us about his stats and his accolades. And I'm like, hmm, this guy, this guy could be something. And then that next season, I was like, yeah, they got a goalie. They got a one. They got a first string. <laughs> Good for them. Um, so when I was telling my, my friends about the, the series, I think after this series has ended, it's shown us that the Lightning and Rangers are relatively very similar teams i'm going through and i'm i'm looking at uh defense too and i really feel like headman is kind of struggling in the uh playoffs yes um i i saw a stat after game one um they mentioned who the best player was in game one it was valerie nachushkin i believe he had a goal uh two assists and maybe four shots on goal or something like that. And he was the best goal ten, or he was the best player based on those, the stat line they gave. And then okay. the worst player in that game was Hedman who had, again, a stat line. I'll try and find it if I can. Um, but it, it, it's kind of shown me that Hedman has definitely taken a step back from mm-hmm. previous seasons. Um, and people still mention him as a Norris trophy um, contender and I understand that fully you know I really do he's he is the most offensive defenseman that Tampa has but as far as comparing him to the Rangers I really feel like Adam Fox is the better of the two if that makes sense 
Uh, when you're talking about when you're talking about <clears throat> offensive defensemen, I think Adam Fox was better. So that kind of gave the edge to the Rangers a little bit. But as far as the shot blocking department goes, um, I, I think that um, the Lightning take that easily with guys like Ryan McDonough, Eric Chernak, um, right. uh, Sergachev is another big blocker. Really, the Rangers' only big blocker was uh, Jacob Truba. Um, and literally he had like that, nine blocks in like one of our games. Right. Like he, he, as far as I'm concerned, like he's the only one that comes to mind um, when shot blocking is mentioned. So again, both uh, defense had aspects that they were better in than the other, but for the most part, again, pretty evenly defensively. And then lastly, offensively, um, it, it was, it was definitely a divide. I think we mentioned um, when we previewed this series after the second round ended, um, the leading scorers at the time for the Lightning were Ross Colton and uh, Corey Perry, a.k.a. Scory Perry, um, <laughs> with both the, both of them had five goals. But as far as the Rangers went, Zabinajad and I think Kreider, I want to say at the time Kreider had eight goals, maybe seven goals, and Zabinajad I think had nine goals. Um, mm-hmm. at the time when when they were going into this series. So the edge offensively kind of went towards the Rangers, but again, it's only because the Rangers played a seven-game series against the Penguins, and then they played a seven-game series against the Carolina Hurricanes, whereas Tampa played a seven-game series against the Leafs and then played a four-game series against the uh, Panthers. So they had more games to sort of score, essentially. So it was... It's kind of a toss-up, I think, offensively. But it, it again, it just kind of proved that these teams are very similar, and it was really hard to to um, uh, analyze who who the better team would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I ultimately gave it to to the Lightning because again they've won two previous back Stanley back. Cups. Yeah. They're back to back Stanley not? Cup champions. They've been in this position before, you know. So I gave them the edge. Um, and lo and behold, it, it played out that way. And now at first, there were there were some big questions uh, for Vasilevsky. His first two games, um, game one, I believe, was a 6-2 final or a 6-3 final. I quickly check. It was a 6-2 final, and the Rangers won that handily. And again, Vasilevsky in that game gave up some very shaky goals. Yep. The next game, very close. Uh, it was a 3-2 game, and I remember that game pretty well. Um, it looked like the Lightning were going to tie that game uh, towards the end. It looked like they were going to play that sort of spoiler game that they were they're used to playing late in the third yeah. period, where it's a tied game or they're down by one, and with 20 seconds left, they tie it or they score to take the lead, and boom. Uh, I, I thought the Lightning were going to tie it, but they didn't. So in the first two games, the Rangers take a two to two nothing series lead. They've scored nine total goals against Vasilevsky. I wasn't pounding the alarm for the Lightning, but if any alarm was being pounded, it was the wake-up alarm. Like, you need to wake up. This is not the Tampa Bay Lightning. You guys are a lot better than this. Um, And boy, howdy, did they wake up after that. Oh, yeah. Um, Game three ended up being a 3-2 Lightning final. I do remember that game vividly, too. Even though the Rangers scored two goals, Again, that was a frustrating game to watch because the Rangers just could not seem to get anything going. They were struggling to 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 score, to 
create chances, to establish a four check. Um, so, you know, going into game four, I, I told my friend after um, game three, I said, all you need to do here is just win game four on the road. That puts you up three to one in the series going back home where you haven't lost. With two chances the, to win at home. Yep. Exactly. And I said, the last time you lost a home game was game one in the first round against Pittsburgh in a triple overtime. That's the last time you lost on at home. Um, wow. So I said, it's very important for you to win game four here. They did not. And again, I thought game three was frustrating. And then the Rangers were like, yeah, you want to see frustrating. And <laughs> game four was game four was the worst game, the worst performance I even have watched a team make in the playoffs. Um, I understand that, you know, you were in the Eastern conference finals. Uh, some of these guys have played at this point, they've played 20 games. They're exhausted. They might be playing through injury, but in such a pivotal game, I always say game four is a very pivotal game because in certain circumstances, it's the difference between a three to one series lead and a two, two series lead. So it's very important for, um, you know, whatever team you are to win that game, to either make the series 2-2, and in the Lightning's case, it made the series 2-2, or to make it 3-1 if you were a Ranger. Um, and they weren't able to do so. They had their worst game of the series. They lost 4-1, and now they're going back home uh, with a 2-2 series. And again, um, the Lightning end up going in Madison Square Garden, finally winning there. Uh, they're the first team to win there, obviously, since the Penguins that I mentioned. They won the game three to one and the frustration that the Rangers frustration continues. Um, and then game six, I was like my friend, even after game five, uh, they lost and she even knew she's like, that's the series. I'm like, yeah, I hate to break it to you, but that is definitely the series. <laughs> the fact that you lost at home and the fact that the lightning are now finding themselves winning three straight to go back home. You know, I, Taller. Looking past looking past series, the Rangers are not that great of a road team. And again, if they just won one road game, uh, this could have been a different series, but they just couldn't manage that. They just couldn't. Um, it's just, you know what, dude? It's funny because it's that's just, it's the same issue that Carolina had in their series yeah. with the Rangers. Yep. And the other thing with the Lightning, the so the big so he was the difference maker for me in the series. You mentioned the, you know, you mentioned the goaltending be a, being a wash, which it basically was, was, which yeah. is a pretty, it's a pretty big feat to put up against an, an Andre Vasilevsky. That's, you know, Shostakin needs a lot of credit there, and it's, and it's, it's too bad that they lost because he really, like I think, out of any of the Rangers, he really deserved to have that opportunity in the finals this go around, but. We digress. It didn't unfold that way. The the big difference, I think, in this series came down to the explosiveness of Tampa's offense. Because I think stat line-wise, the offenses are pretty similar. And correct me if I'm wrong there. But I think even the offense is practically a wash for these teams. But And so then the difference maker comes down to those moments where you need you need, uh, like I go back to the Connor McDavid's, you need a playmaker to step up and create some uh, immediate scoring opportunities or, um, you know, do circles in the offensive zone and really wear out, a, wear out a line. 
and get a line worn out for like two minutes in their offensive zone, force an icing, and now you get a whole set of guys on the ice with a whole set of guys who've been out there for, for two minutes, three minutes, just completely gassed. Like, or just take the puck, stand on your head, and put one in for your team. Like, almost that will kind of thing. That explosiveness is just not as prevalent with the Rangers. Um, you know, you think of Zabanajad, he has the capabilities to be like that. But outside of him, maybe Panarin, but even Panarin is still, I find him to be a much more methodical okay. and um, like roaming type of forward. He's very good at like roaming and, and losing, you know, having defensemen lose track of him and all of a sudden he's yes. a backdoor pass. But he's not an explosive kind of guy anymore. Um, and that explosiveness is a very, very uh, powerful tool in a postseason. It, it, it can establish or guide the momentum. And, I mean, just in general, it can keep you in games or it can be the difference maker as well if it's a one-goal game. No. So I'll, I'll give it over. No, I, I'm very glad that you mentioned Panarin. Um, I, I will get to him uh, soon. But I just want to make the point. Uh, the first two games I mentioned, the Rangers scored nine total goals from games three through six. Can you guess how many total goals they scored? Three through six. Yeah. The whole team? The whole team. I don't know. If you added like up their total goals from four three to six. Not wrong. Well, not too far off. It was five. Five. Okay. They scored five total goals from game three on. And you mentioned, three, four, you know, five. so that's four games, three, four, five and six. Yes. Yep. OK. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's that 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 just can't happen. Um, that won't win. Y- you got to be able to. To muster offense, you got to be able to win on the road. Um, I felt like Panarin, you know, I'll mention him now. I felt like Panarin and I, I, I won't even say that Zibinijad. I really liked his play throughout the whole playoffs, even against the Lightning. Um, he, I think, was a big reason why, along with Shesterkin, of course, he was a big reason why I think that the Rangers even found themselves in this Eastern Conference final. Um, he put up a hell of a performance. Um, if the Rangers ended up going to the Stanley Cup finals, you could bet your uh, bottom dollar that he would be in the Conn Smythe talks for sure with the way he was playing. Um, so I really like the play out of him, though. I think the Rangers as a whole offensively struggled, um, after game two, uh, I, I don't, I don't put the blame on Zvinijek cause he actually showed up, but I bring up Panarin because I mentioned how Svechnikov in your series against the Rangers just looked like he was trying to force too much when it wasn't there. Panarin seemed to do and did the exact same thing that Svechnikov did, but even worse, there were times where I'd be watching the Rangers and he'd Even be on more. the ice. He he would basically be in the offensive zone and he just he'd throw the puck away. He would turn it over. He would you know, it it seemed to be worse than Svechnikov, I say, because it just seemed to happen more often than not. Uh it seemed to happen more often than Svechnikov uh was turning the puck over. Uh, you know, I mentioned in the previous podcast that Svechnikov would have the puck and throw it across the ice to nobody. But, you know, Panarin was trying to force too much to where not only was he doing that, but he was also causing cre- turnovers. Um, he's a guy that sometimes, uh, 
uh, falls in the category of rather passes the puck than shoot it. And I really feel like he just wasn't, I don't know if he didn't have a feel for the puck, but he just, to me, he didn't seem like he wanted to have that shoot first mentality. It looked like he wanted to make that, that um, methodical. Yeah. Be a playmaker. You were saying how he can, he's, you know, he, um, he, uh, he gets lost by defenseman and then he's right back door, but it seemed like instead of doing that, he wanted to be more of a, of a playmaker and that's just not his game. So I feel like he was trying to adapt and just, it's it's just like his game. So yeah, yeah, play a different role. And it just wasn't his game because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe um, Panarin was on a line with cop and um, Strom. And so those two guys aren't really known for scoring, but cop, you know, has really, when he was traded to, to the Rangers, he had a, um, he had a great impact on their scoring. Uh, he was, he was a good pickup because he scored a lot. So I think with that, he sort of adapted his game because he realized that, uh, with the way that cop was playing with the team and how well he was producing with the team, he wanted to change his, uh, because again, there were so many times where he had the puck and I'm thinking, you know, shoot it. And instead he's trying to pass it to somebody or he's trying to you know, yeah. work through guys. It, it's, it was frustrating to watch for the very least. And I just feel like he's a better player than that. And it didn't show in this series. Um, and he's a big <laughs> proponent. He's a big proponent for in that Rangers offense, you know, him, Zabinijad and um, can't think of all the top Mike Kreider. Those are like your, their That's top Kreider. three forwards, you know, and I felt like he underperformed severely. And it's the reason why the Rangers just kind of fell off after uh, game two. I really do. Um mm-hmm. It it just was so unfortunate that he, you know, and, and obviously I'm not trying to put this whole series blame on uh, Panarin, but you know, it's it's to say that if he produced more, maybe the Rangers have a different outcome than losing in I six agree. games and losing four straight games. You know, um, yeah, and I think we can both agree, no matter what, just the team as a whole could have played a lot better than what they did uh, in games three through six. You know, it, it's it's. Yeah. From it was what a they totally like. different series at that point. Exactly, exactly. Um, had they won Game Four again, they're up three to one in the series, and they're going home to where they play really, really well in. Um, and again, the storyline with the Carolina Hurricanes, how they couldn't win a road game, kind of falls the same with the Rangers. You know, the Rangers, <laughs> yes, they won Game Seven in Carolina. They finally won a road game, you know, and it was, it was a very important one. But right. they couldn't win one. They could not win on the road in this series. Man, it's it's like Carolina passed the torch. So we gave them we gave them a Russian forward <laughs> who does too much yes! passing. <laughs> um, and we gave them you know the don't win a don't win on the road don't win on the road mentality either. Torch. Yeah, no, it's it's um it's funny you mention that because I I just think that that's. Like exactly how the Rangers played this series. Um, and I feel bad because Shesterkin, he's a hell of a player. He's a hell of a goaltender. He will bef- he will definitely be in, in talks uh, in the future for possible best goaltender if he keeps um, the play up that he's at right now. It is incredible to watch that guy play. You can definitely say he could be the second coming of Vasilevsky um, if things continue to trend in that direction. Um, 
So it's it was tough to see Shisterkin, you know, kind of be left to dry. That's exactly how I felt. You know, you mentioned it where sometimes you just got to be able to put the puck in the net, especially when your goaltender is playing out of this world for you. Um, you know, you, you got to be able to convert for him and give him some relief and take the pressure off of him by putting a puck in their net and allowing him to settle in the game, stop facing so many shots. Right. Um, I'll quickly go through uh, his save percentages just to show you how, how good he was. Um, he posted a 949 in the first game, faced uh, 39 shots, made 37 saves, let two in. In game two, he posted a 935, faced 31 shots, saved 29, let two in. In game three, he faced... 52 shots, let 49, wow. uh, save 49 and let three in. So he posted a 942. This was in a loss. That guy posted yeah. a 942 in a loss, man. Yeah, Tampa was like a fire hose with their shots on goal. It was yeah. it was very reminiscent of Carolina during the regular season. It's like, I mean, it works in the regular season. Why would you get away from it? No shot is a bad shot. And it's like. I would much rather a shot in a rebound or a shot in a whistle than a pass through a seam of like, because what do we do right. in the playoffs? We clog the middle. Everybody clogs the middle. So any pass that goes through the middle has to go through like at least three guys, four or five yeah. guys. Sometimes so why don't you just take a guy. shot that needs to go? Yeah. Why don't you take a shot that needs to go through about the same amount of people but has a different outcome at the very end of it, you know, like, right. It's tough. It's, it's so easy. You know, it's easy for us to look at the game and say that, but it's another thing to execute it, I guess, because otherwise it would have been happening. You know, Rod would have noticed that mentioned it and it wouldn't have been an issue moving forward. So it's tough. I mean, it it was tough. I agree. It was really hard to watch that series after those first two games. It was like, it was almost like, uh, over the course of that series, the emotions of the instant of that game, Florida-Tampa, where Florida did take it at the very, like, five seconds left, the emotions within that period were sort of stretched out across this series, more or less, because, um, I mean, even after game four, it didn't, it didn't, it was still 2-2, and, and you know, and from the, uh, where you are at in the series standpoint is now a best of three and that's not the worst scenario, but it did not feel good. It didn't feel like this was going to be an intense battle for the end of this one. And you mentioned messaging your Rangers friends pretty often. I actually wasn't messaging Alex. I don't think at all uh, for this, um, for this series, because I, I only like to message him when I'm like, fairly confident in what I'm talking to. And at the start of the series, I was on the fence. I was really on the fence about which way it was going to swing. And the outcome of the first two games was not what I was expecting. Not that I wasn't expecting the Rangers to be up to zero. I just didn't really expect Tampa to, to almost. um, It was the fashion that they were losing it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like they just didn't seem like it almost was like a practice. It it wasn't like uh, that Tampa brand of the play.
playoffs that we're used to. And so for me, I was like, uh, I don't know. I mean, even though the Rangers are up 2-0, like Tampa, especially as being a back-to-back champion, you know, they have a switch and they can flip it when they want. So I was waiting for that to happen. And unfortunately, I think it just came on too hot and too strong for the New York Rangers. But you know what? Nothing against them, dude, because let's review this playoff series, this playoff season for them. It's very reminiscent of the Carolina Hurricanes first playoff run back in 2019. I mean, Carolina, in my opinion, is a team that is four years ahead of New York, except in the goalie department. It's the reverse. But, you know, their first series, they had this monumental series comeback. Carolina had a had a game seven comeback that went to double overtime. And that was thrilling. And for me, that first series was enough to say this playoff was worth it, regardless of what happens next. And I think New York Rangers fans could have said like they could have had one of the most heartbreaking finals performances on the planet. But that first series of the playoffs was was what this playoff was about for you. You won your first series. You've returned now to the playoffs as a contender. um, And man, you came back against a 3-1 deficit and you came back in every single game to do so. Um, so right there, I mean, that is the win for the post postseason and everything else is, is icing on the cake. And here's the thing, our, our series and, you know, we did end up sweeping the next team. You guys didn't, but you held your own. And when you want, when you needed to win it and Matt and it mattered, you won and you won, you beat a top contending team in Carolina and you went toe to toe against the top contending team in Tampa Bay. Carolina didn't end their Eastern Conference Finals performance with a 4-2 loss. It was a blank. We got blanked by Boston. Um, so it's been a, it's even though it was a disappointing end to the postseason, the Rangers postseason overall was awesome. I think it, it's a it's a breath of fresh air in the postseason. I think even if Tampa Bay goes on to to threepeat this year. I don't think it's happening next year. I think there's just too many big dogs. And there are teams that are going to be making the changes that they need to. I'm thinking Florida and New York specifically. Hopefully Carolina does the same. And, you know, maybe next year Tampa Bay has three juggernauts that they need to go through to get to the finals. And it's not to say that they won't do it. But, man, for a fourth run to do that again... That would be very difficult, in my opinion. So we'll see where things go with, with Tampa moving forward. But New York fans, you got an awesome team to be happy about. I don't think it's been announced yet, but I, I got to assume Chris Pryor is going to be the captain of this team when that does become official, if it hasn't yet. So, Yeah. Now, Andy, very well said again. Um, definitely <laughs> Thank a, you. Another... <laughs> Encore more of that. Yes. I mean, we're seeing a lot more from you on this podcast and I'm loving it. You know, you really, you know, when to take over and you know exactly what to say, you know, sometimes yeah, I'm sitting so. here stumbling, but you, you go through it perfectly like butter. Um, Thank you. And you mentioned a few things that I want to get to. Um, you mentioned how the 2019 Carolina hurricanes are very similar to the 2022 Rangers, the difference being goaltending. And I wanted to specifically mention more further in that the reason why you guys got blanked in the Eastern conference finals by the Bruins was because you didn't have goaltending. The reason why the Rangers found exactly. themselves at least winning two games was because of Shesterkin. 
Um, right. Again, he's a phenomenal goaltender. Uh, I really hope he is the um, second king of New York in a sense. You had Lundqvist. Mm. I hope there you, you go. get. I hope you get another king in uh, Shisterik, and it looks like you will. Um, and it, it, it's it's very it's just it's a good sight to see because, like you said, Carolina has been struggling to find that goaltender, and thankfully the Rangers haven't had that problem. Um, it, they, they've always had it in Lundqvist, and then when he went away, it was Georgiev for a time, but then Shisterkin finally developed, and he has just played phenomenally. Um, and Georgiev is a good backup. No, yeah. I mean, he He's so he struggled back. in the he struggled in the regular season for sure. But when he played in the playoffs, which was very few, he was a, he was good. Um, I do have to give him credit there. I think he um, played in two games in that Penguin series. It was games yeah. three and four, I think, in Pittsburgh, um, where he was pulled twice in a row and then just bounced back after that. Um, I also want to mention that you uh, stated that uh, the Rangers and the Florida Panthers in the East, at least, will make moves this offseason to become that new powerhouse. Uh, I do agree that even if Tampa three peats this year, it is going to be so hard for them to four peat. Um, just with the group that they have, it's hard to keep that core together. Um, so I, I would agree with you there. But then also looking at the West, because um, you only mentioned some Eastern teams, you also right. have to mention that the team right now that's in the Stanley Cup Finals that they're facing. Colorado can be can get better this offseason, possibly. Um, I think Calgary has, is poised Calgary as well. Has, I mean, I know that they got like yeah. destroyed kind of by Edmonton, but if they make some minor tweaks, I think they're a powerhouse just the same. Um, I, yeah, it, it's it's Calgary. Their their only uh, downfall was goaltending. But to be fair, Markstrom's worst numbers were against the Oilers. The only team he cannot play against is the Oilers. And they right. just happened to run into him. It's it's just bad luck. It's bad luck of the draw. Um, but other than that, Markstrom is a stellar goaltender. You know, he right. really is. He, too, I think, has another six by six million dollar contract. I think, you know, the, the, a lot of I think last year was the year of the goaltender. This uh, no, sorry. I believe two years ago was the year of two the goaltender, yeah, two off. and last year was the year of the defenseman. Um, and again, he's locked up at six million dollars, and I think he is worth every penny. Uh, it's just unfortunate that they ran into the Oilers, a team that he does not have good numbers against in the regular season, and doesn't have them against uh, the postseason. So again, Tampa will have to face these teams, and in order to four Pete, it's going to be very hard. Um, I do agree. I, I think the Rangers should be absolutely happy with the um, performance they got out of the Rangers. You're 100% right in your assessment of just getting out of the first round, finally, you know, making it back to the playoffs, winning a playoff right. series, especially the fashion that you did it in. Then not only that, you ended up being the Eastern Conference, probably number one, number two. You know, you can flop Florida and Carolina any way you see them. But regardless, you know, Carolina was at least the number one or the number two Eastern contender uh, to make it to the cup finals and possibly win. You eliminated them um, and you just you couldn't beat a team that win back to back uh, cups that has a chance now to win three in a row. You can't hang your head on that. 
Um, like I said, you had a hell of a postseason, and you mentioned it too. Um, I, I mentioned Zabinajad earlier. I thought he had a fantastic series. Yeah, uh, series. Um, he had a fantastic postseason. Um, Chris Kreider too. You know, he his goal scoring sort of dwindled, but um, again, I thought he had a great uh, postseason. Uh, we mentioned that line earlier, the kid line. The kid line, they had a lot to prove. You know, I mentioned it. This line has struggled in the regular season. Capo Caco, um, La- Alexi Lafreniere. These guys were first-round draft picks, number one draft picks. Um, I actually think that Capo Caco wasn't the number one overall draft pick. He, I think, was number two. Uh, he, he was two uh, against Hughes. Hughes went number one. I remember that year was a toss-up between the two. Who's going to go number one? So I think I mentioned previously that he was a number one draft pick. I want to correct myself and say that he was a number two overall draft pick. But regardless, one or two, you you, no matter who you are, you have high standards to meet if you're that early in the draft. Um, and I thought him, Lafreniere, and uh, who was the other guy? Oh, Heedle. Heedle. Um, th- that line played stellar for you guys. I personally thought that that was your best line, most consistent line throughout the postseason, um, which says a lot because the oldest guy in that line is Heedle himself, and he's 22 years old. Hint, hint, he's as old as me, and he's performing as well as he did in postseason. Um, it's crazy how well that line performed this offseason. I couldn't give them enough praise. Um, yeah. I, I, I already said it, but I thought that that was your best line consistently throughout the postseason. And you know, again, they, those guys had a lot to prove, more so Lafreniere and more so Capo Caco, um, because a lot of people have been saying for the years past now that they're busts. You know, these guys struggle to score. These guys struggle to uh, um, pr- to produce. I think under David Quinn, your former head coach, Capo Caco once found himself on the fourth line, um, which is never a good look for a number two overall draft pick. So. Yeah. Again, it's just these guys were struggling throughout the years, and now they finally found themselves at least to play consistently uh, when it when it mattered most. Like you said, I, I believe you mentioned um, that this team stepped up when it when they needed to the most. And uh, those three guys, in my opinion, they stepped up uh, when it when they needed when the Rangers needed it the most. Um, so I, I can't give enough praise to those guys. I'm going to give praise to um, Keandre Miller too. He's another guy, I believe he's 22 as well, um, who played out of his mind throughout the whole postseason. Um, you know, he only had seven points this whole postseason, so it's understandable to say that, you know, he was, you know, where was he offensively? But defensively, this guy was fun to watch. I don't know if you picked up on it, but he is a great defender. Um, I think having Truba on his um, defensive pairing is perfect. I like a defensive pairing that's shut down. Um, I don't know who Slavin's partner is in, but if you can mention it, if you do know it. Tony um, D'Angelo. <laughs> God. Okay, scratch that. Take that off the record. Never mind. Um, but no, the, the point I'm trying to make is usually um, – uh, you'll have your most shut down defenseman on a pair with somebody who's your offensive producer. So, for example, I mentioned well, Kim technically Carr. Tony is our offensive <laughs> right. producer, right? Which, which <laughs> I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. Um, but yes, there's Kale McCarr with Devon Taves. Devon Taves is the shutdown guy, while Kale McCarr is allowed to, you know, roam free. 
Slavin is the stay-at-home defenseman, and D'Angelo is the guy that can, you know, go out and have fun. Um, but I liked how uh, Gerard Gallant, <laughs> he has too much fun at the age. That's what that always meant, but I don't have too much fun. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Now I know what he meant when he said that. <laughs> but um, but no, I, I liked how Gerard Gallant had a, a um, standard defensive shutdown line where both players were known as defensive uh, defensemen. Um, in both Miller and Truba, by no means is Truba really an offensive guy. And Miller, I think, will find his offensive game. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I thought that watching him play defensively was, you know, just incredible. Um, yeah. And actually, I was wrong. He, he didn't have seven total points this postseason. That was just against uh, the the Lightning, it looks like here. Um, or no, I'm sorry. That is his total uh um, points for the, for the post yeah but again he, he you know he's still um developing he's like i said he's only 22 years old so he'll find his game eventually um, i believe that this may have been his first season in the nhl like first full season okay. um but i am i am very surprised with where he's at right now in his game um his defense to me is stellar um like i said i couldn't give him or shesterkin or the kid line enough praise I really feel like, you know, without that core right there, this Rangers team wouldn't even have beaten uh, Pittsburgh, but they right. found themselves to do so. Um, and Rangers fans, I know I mentioned it when you guys beat Carolina, but you guys have a very bright future ahead of you. Um, uh-huh. Please, please, please do whatever you can to keep Shesterkin, um make that guy comfortable in New York. Please just, do whatever you can to make that guy stay. Cause I yeah. don't want to see in years, years from now where rumors are Shesterkin wants out of New York. So please do whatever you can to keep that guy to stay. I would hate to see him go. Um, I love him as a Ranger. He is fun to watch. Dude, <clears throat> here's the other thing that I've been playing out is that if this Kachekov guy works out for Carolina, how awesome would it be to have this goaltend, this Russian goaltender like duel? every postseason with these two teams right or wherever and, the checkoff ends up going and keep in mind that that was technically the storyline for this uh this lightning ranger series it was like battle of the the russian goaltenders you know right who, who truly is the best um well maybe not who truly is the best but you get the idea they're, they're both you know you have your best russian goaltender currently and you have your future best russian goaltender the future yeah. Uh, so it's uh, it was like a passing of the torch, essentially. Um, but again, the Rangers didn't win. So, um, yeah, you guys got a bright future. I, if you're a Rangers fan, like Andy said, you know, you were basically playing with house money after you came back from Pittsburgh and you made it all exactly. the way to the Eastern Conference final. And you you were one game shy of, of bringing the Lightning to seven games. Um, the only team to have do so this postseason was the uh, Leafs. Um, and I'll mention it right here. Everybody knows the um, the podcast group chat that Andy and I have. Um, for those of you who don't know uh, who's in the chat, it's Andy, Ryan, my friend from home, and our cousin Greg. And, uh, you know, I'll give Andy credit right here. Um, 
Andy was against the three-peat, or at least he didn't want to see the Lightning three-peat. So in that first-round <laughs> series, he wanted the Leafs to win. And who in the group chat? Who in the group chat was like, nah, nah, the Leafs memes need to live on. It was me. It was Ryan, and it was Greg. And now we find ourselves in a situation where the Lightning can three-peat, and who's to blame? It's it's me, it's Greg, and it's Ryan. So I will give Andy the credit there. He was the only one rooting for the Leafs um, because he didn't want to see a three-peat. Now, you know, fast forward a month later, they are in the Stanley Cup final, possibly about to repeat, and, you know... I ha- I will apologize. I know Ryan refuses because he's a Bruins fan, and by all means, I understand that. But I will personally apologize right here on the record. Uh, I should have been rooting for the Leafs the whole time if I did not want to see them three-peat. Um, and unfortunately, because they're my division rival, you know, Buffalo and Toronto is yeah. a, a rivalry. I, I just couldn't stand to see them win, even though I love Matthews and a lot of their team. Um I just I just couldn't find them to to win a series. So uh, I thought I'd mention that Andy. I, I know we mentioned <laughs> you in the in the group chat, but I'll mention it here on the podcast too. I think you deserve that credit as well. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And it's funny. The, I think the reason Nick is bringing that up is I got uh, I was talking Sergachev's name in the group chat that I liked him, and Tampa started crawling back into Game One of the finals the other night. And somebody put that game, they tried putting that game on me. And I was like, whoa, whoa, let's not forget the first round. So, <laughs> no, nah, I appreciate that shout out, man. That was, it's funny. That was, that was yeah, a funny just, one. Just a little inside joke we all had. And uh, yeah. to further your context, Andy, on that game one in the Stanley Cup finals. So, Again, I really quick, we, I just want to finish off the Rangers. Go for it. Go for I, it. I want to say I am dropping my overrated um, label on Mika Zibanejad. The guy is worth his weight in Swedish gold. And I mean, how can you disagree with the locks? Um, there's a actually, I recently was have been watching an anime show, and the make the main character has been aging throughout, and his hair has been growing. And now that his hair in the show is long enough, he looks he looks identical almost to Zabanajad. So um, that's just a little small thing uh, on the side. But Alex, my friend, his his favorite player is Mika Zabanajad. Alex, if you're listening, man, I give you the credit. You saw it ahead of time when I, especially even when I was calling him overrated. So I'll give some credit up up there as well. Um, I even think he, he might have the Banajad jersey. I don't know. Maybe I should uh, send him one his way if he doesn't for the apology. But um, And then the other guy I want to mention, because we always mention Shosturkin, is Chris Kreider. Guy had an unbelievable regular season, not just a postseason. Um, he came up clutch when he needed to, almost like Justin Williams in the past. You know, he's not a guy... Who could? Who's gonna like really put up a, a hat trick probably in the postseason, like some of these players will. But um, when the time mattered in in the Carolina series, he showed up, which was Game Seven. His team covered him up until that point. Uh, so no, this this Rangers squad overall is a very entertaining group to watch. And those two people I wanted to add on to your um, your flowers, I guess we'll give them flowers, but. 
yeah anyways back to what back to what you were i didn't mean to derail your thought process there but i did want to share that before i forgot no you were you were absolutely um you're absolutely fine on that i i didn't lose trace of what i was going to mention and i will also i because i believe i was the first one to mention to you andy that i thought Zabinijad was overrated and then that's when you told me yeah I agree I do think he's overrated as well so um, we both thought it we just didn't so, know yet oh but... yeah yeah we both okay. thought that for a while yeah we I remember uh distinctly um you and I would talk about him and we would just be like I like I think he's overrated for sure but I will definitely uh bow down take a knee here for for Same. um for for being proven wrong you know I'm I think we're both guys that when it comes to hockey for as knowledgeable as we are, sometimes we're wrong and we have no problem letting people know when we're wrong and admitting it. Exactly. So I will definitely do that here. Mika's a bit of Jed. Like I said, if the Rangers went to the conference, uh, sorry, if they went to the Stanley cup final, they had possibly two con Smythe um, contenders with Mika's a bit of Jed and Shesterkin. That's, that's how great that those two guys played in it, in it, it speaks for itself, you know. Um, and so the coach. Let's give the coach some flowers, man. Oh, go on, dude. Yeah, we haven't this, even mentioned it. I'm sorry, guys, but this episode's just never going to end. We are huge, <laughs> we're huge Ranger fans, by the way. I know we tell you that we're Carolina fans and we're Buffalo fans, but secretly we're Rangers fans. Deep down. God. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but seriously, Gerard Gallant, um, I loved him in Vegas. You know, he was the coach that brought Vegas to their first Stanley Cup appearance um, in their first year. Uh, they, were known as the, they were known as the misfits, the outcasts, you know, and he took that team and he allowed them to embrace that role. And um, and they did so, you know, again, they fell short in the Stanley Cup final against the Capitals. They ended up losing uh, in five games, but. You know, again, they were playing with house money by just simply making the postseason that year. Or I'm sorry, when they made no, that that's true. They didn't. Need, they weren't even expected to make the playoffs. So once they made the playoffs, they were already playing with house money. Shout out Vegas. Um, and then from <laughs> that, and then from that point on, you know, it just got even better and better. Um, and then he gets fired uh, for whatever reason. Um, I don't know who the GM at, of the uh, at, right, of the uh, Vegas is right now, but let me quickly find out who it is. But I'll continue on. Um, I have no idea why he was fired as a coach. I thought he did well um, with Vegas. They ended up replacing him with Peter DeBoer, which, yeah, like what? He was the Sharks coach, and the year prior, and wasn't he uh, the Devils too? He was the Devils, so he brought the. 2012 devils to to that cup run to eventually okay lost in it to the kings but um which that was a six eight seed finals i don't know if you remember that or not that was yes, one of the no i do i was seeded you know finals so funny? i was thinking about that just the other day i'm like wow <laughs> you know that that's that season had a eighth seeded team and a six seeded team in the finals yeah but um but no, the, the point I was going to make is the year previous, um, Peter DeBoer was the team that eliminated the Vegas Golden Knights. And there was a huge rivalry stemming from the Sharks and the Vegas Golden Knights. And it has continued yeah. since. 
So it kind of scratched my head like you fired Sherard Gallant to replace him with the rival head coach. And I, I, I couldn't get it. I, I couldn't wrap my head around that. Um, and I thought Gerard Gallant deserved better. And he eventually found his way to the New York Rangers bench, um, where I think he has found a home for sure, I would hope. Um, but, you know, lately with these head coach firings, I don't know who's safe anymore. You know, Trotz just got fired. Cassidy just got fired. Um, I'm not going to say that Gallant's going to end up getting fired, but my goodness, it's I don't know what's going through these these GM's heads uh, with coaching. It's really just it's kind of scary, but I, I think that's yeah. is by far uh, he has no issue with that uh, head coaching position. I, I do not think he ever will. Uh, he's one of my favorite head coaches in the league. He's definitely top three for me. I, I love that guy. And no matter where he goes, I will cheer for that team. Um, I think it's why I'm such a closeted Rangers fan right now um, because he's <laughs> their head coach. You know, it's just it is what it is. But uh, I'll I'll pass it on to you if you want to say anything about Gallant. Nah, I, I, I like him a lot. One of my favorite things about him is his uh, press conferences after the fact. Yes, um, yes. That I think after going down 3-1, he was just super candid and like, yeah, you know, we got to win the next one. And it's like, yeah, damn. <laughs> how, how, um, how like just ahead of the times you are, but it's such a, like a simple, you know, quote. And I, and I think his team really rallies around that calmness that he brings. Um, yes. He doesn't seem to me to be like a torts. I mean, a torts is a specific kind of coach and Gallant, I think is a different kind of coach, but I think they get the same out of their teams uh, via the methods. And I think Gallant is a little bit more calm, poised and collected. Um, I I don't know if it's uh, something to do with like, a physical ailment or something but i love like how tight his mouth is when he talks so i don't know if that's weird or not but i also love his <laughs> accent he's got yeah, sort of like, this accent to him i can't that's kind tell. of what it was yeah yeah he kind of you know it's like a soft-spoken you know his teeth stay close together when he talks yes, that's, no, that's sort of what no, i meant yeah. by tight yeah, yeah no i agree and i like how whenever they interviewed him i i got to hear his accent or he just he got interviewed by Emily Kaplan at yes. one point, and she asked him a question about like some failed power play that happened, and I think it was in T- Tampa because the crowd was going nuts, and uh, he doesn't hear what she asks. He just goes, "I didn't really hear what you said, but I know you're probably asking about the penalty there, yes, the penalty yes. kills." So, and he just starts going into what it was, you know. It's, yes, yeah. He's no, charismatic. I, he's calm. He's a smart guy. He's a really cool coach. I I would agree. He's one of my top three favorites, and Brenda Moore obviously is is the number one, and that isn't just a Homer, uh, you know, Homer vision. I really think that Rod is truly one of the best coaches in the NHL. Gallant yeah. is right up there with him. Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, this Rangers team has everything it needs to be successful. They proved that this postseason. Yeah. And like I said, in the future, um, I don't know what additions you can make. Uh, I think the team right now is perfect. Run it back, you know, just run it back again. Now you've got some playoff experience with this team. Um, 
they're relatively young, so maybe a little bit more veteran uh, presence. But other than that, you know, this is a chef's kiss team, in my opinion. And uh, um, I would not be surprised if they make another deep run next season uh, with what they have now. Um, you know, but I without further... I Kreider, Captain, Panarin yes. should step up as a veteran, and I think you've got one hell of a run coming ahead. Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. I wouldn't say that a lack of a captain is um, part of their downfall, but, you know, you, you always like to have a, a, a captain to have that leadership role, so there's somebody yeah. designated in that role. Um, but with how young that Rangers team is, uh, it just goes to show you the... Um, camaraderie they all have to be able to, um, you know, make a deep run like this and and sort of bounce back in games and in series like they did. It, it shows a lot to them. Um, but without further ado, we'll we'll go and preview the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, this is a contest between the Colorado Avalanche in the West and the Tampa Bay Lightning in the East. Um, this will be a very this will be a very interesting series. I've been telling all my friends that. Um, I have I one friend who he's a basketball fan, and I believe he watched the NBA Finals. But every he's been wa- he told me he's been watching a lot of games uh, this postseason. And I asked him, I'm like, uh, you know, when did you start watching? He's like, the first round. I'm like, the first round. Oh my gosh! I thought when you told me you were watching the playoffs was when you started and he told me he you know for reference for people um it was the rangers lightning series that he was watching but i ended up finding out that he was watching since the first round and i was like oh it blew my mind because i didn't even expect him to Uh, because like i said he's a basketball fan um but uh this this uh series between the colorado avalanche and the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning will be probably the best Stanley Cup Finals we've had in quite some time. This I can't even this compare it. Stanley Cup Finals is the matchup that Tampa should have had the first two years. This is yes. the this is the championship that I think is going to validate the previous two because I know everybody has asterisks next to those championships run. Even I'll I'll admit it. Even I have a little bit of an asterisk, especially the the Dallas one throughout the, um, you know, the empty arenas and the whole that was in the throes of COVID. Um, But this in in Dallas, then in Montreal, then just they were teams that the West, in my opinion, has not been strong for very long. The year that St. Louis won the Stanley Cup. I was not convinced that any team from the West was going to win. And even from that point on, I, it didn't change. And D- Dallas wasn't the team to do it. Montreal wasn't going to be the team to do it. But Colorado is a different breed. They're finally putting something, to, they finally have put something together to bring themselves to the finals. But moreover, they're competing. They're not just in the finals. They, we, we watched, um, we have seen game one. So even though we are previewing the finals, game one has happened. And even though Tampa pulled the game back and sent it to overtime, man, Colorado to me just looked like it was their game. And they were controlling the pace of it. They were controlling the momentum for the most part. I know it was at home and that helps, but they, you know, you put together a really good regular season to have that home, home ice advantage in the postseason. And now is when it's paying dividends. And as long as they continue that success at home, as we've seen in the Carolina series, 
You only have to win at home. And this is the last series of the, of the playoffs. So you don't have to worry about the home wins and the road wins after this. This is the, you know, the be all end all. We're not going to be talking after this more or less. So I think this season, like, I think, so it's ironic that you bring up that basketball guy because conversely, I had watched more of the basketball playoffs this season than any other point in my life. Um, I watched the whole finals except for last night. I shut it off after the half because, and I also will admit that I uh, recognize the appeal of being a bandwagon fan. Now I, I won't scoff as hard as I usually do with that. Um, because I, I followed the Celtics as a bandwagon fan and, uh, I guess I've forgotten where I'm going with this, but, um, um, it's it, no, it's it's funny that that guy was watching this season, and I think you know Ryan shared the um, stats this morning with viewership of the of the conference finals, and so hey, it's a good thing that other people are looking at the sport of hockey and watching the game. Um, oh, I know where I was going with this. Last night there was a a response question for their panel during the pregame, and the and the phrase was a win tonight for Golden State means that the dynasty is blank and like Stephen a and Jalen rose they all got to respond and um like for for example for Stephen a it was official so i guess for him golden state wasn't a dynasty unless they won last unless they won this year's championship um so for me similar to that a win this year will validate your two previous ones and i think I think that I think that establishes a dynasty in the NHL. Three straight cups is a yes. dynasty in and of itself. And, yeah. and, that, and that if was... you cap it off against this Colorado team, it makes it official to me as well. Because I don't really care. I don't put a whole lot of weight into those first two. Turn it back to you. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree with that assessment there. Um, I, you know, I don't, I think a majority of people, Andy, kind of, you know, unless you're a Tampa fan, I feel like a majority of people um, have that sort of notion that this, these first two cups have an asterisk next to them. Um, and whether or not that's, you know, right or wrong, um, you know, the fact of the matter is, is they do have two cups um, and they did happen during uh, COVID seasons seasons where the league stopped the season or it was a shortened season because of COVID. Changed a, it, yeah. Exactly. So I don't think that it's necessarily a negative that fans feel that way. Um, you know, for, for any Tampa fans, don't take it as an offense when people say, Oh, there's an asterisk next to it. Um, because that's just never happened in, in the Stanley cup history before, you know? Right. So. And haters are not hate no matter what. Right. 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 And it's not it's not to um, uh, to invalidate your wins. It's just to say, like, hey, you know, this just just happened during a season where there were so many factors in how things played out. I mean, for God's sakes, Montreal found themselves in the playoffs. They beat (laughs) Pittsburgh in the play in rounds and they went on to go into the playoffs. So it's like if COVID never happened, there's no way in hell the Canadians find themselves in the playoffs, you know? So a lot of teams had a lot of luck going into that. Um, 
Columbus is one of them. Montreal is one of them. Chicago is one of them. You know, as as far as why people sort of see it as an asterisk. Um, but yeah, I, I totally so. agree. If if you guys beat Colorado, Colorado is by far your hardest competition. Um, I hate to break it to you, but the Dallas Stars, even back then, could not buy a goal. Um, no. They, I don't know how they found themselves in I, that finals, man. I didn't either. I don't even know either. Um, you look at 2021, and although this wasn't necessarily a shortened season like it was previously, um, you found yourselves having a Canadian division where only the Canadian teams played each other. There was no um, over-the-border traveling. Um, uh-huh. So Buffalo couldn't face Toronto, even though they're pretty relatively close to one another at the border. It was American teams that played only American teams. And Canadian teams only face Canadian teams. I bring this up because when you only play your conference, you get to know them very well. You get to know their flaws. You get to know their strengths. And Tampa, you could say, was advantageous to play all these Eastern teams until the Stanley Cup final. when They technically faced a, I'll say, Western team, but there wasn't really conferences in, in that Stanley Cup because, again, um, American teams are pretty like half and half with Western Eastern. Um, so I'll, I'll at least say that it was an American team facing a Canadian team for the very first time um, in the Stanley Cup final that year uh, specifically because Vegas did play Montreal. And so that was an American team facing a uh, a Canadian team. But that was the first time it ever happened. Um, in that in the playoffs in the format of the regular season and the playoffs so you didn't really get to know your I see what you mean right yeah yeah so I I, I hope I got that point across Um, I hope people understand that but like I said Tampa only played American teams so when they go into the playoffs and only face American teams and then they play their first Canadian team in the um, cup and they destroy them you know it kind of makes sense because the Canadian the Montreal Canadians were only uh, used to playing Canadian teams. And yes, they beat Vegas, but you can say that that was luck. Um, and then Tampa, again, is just playing American teams that they've played throughout the whole regular season. And then they finally play the Canadians. So that's why there's an asterisk on that one. Kind of took well, and a lot of people have time. the whole uh, LTR and you know, right. all that yes. stuff. So. Of course, Kucherov was you know, out for the whole season and magically he was there for game one. So you have all of that encompassing your two Stanley cup wins. Um, If you just looked at it objectively, you can, I hope people can understand why there's an asterisk. I hope lightning fans can understand why there's an asterisk with those two cups. Um, But again, if you guys win this against Colorado, it's definitely going to throw all of those discussions out of the window. Colorado is by far your, your biggest competition of the three teams that you faced in the Stanley cup finals. Um, the Canadians, again, they were just luck, luck of the luck of whatever, um, you know, luck of the Lightning Canadians, struck. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You know, look at the luck Canadians that, <laughs> luck that they were able to, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> luck that they came back after being down three to one against, um, the Leafs, um, they ended up sweeping the Jets. They ended up beating the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. And my best memory of that postseason was when um, they won game six because game six was on uh, St. 
John the Baptist Day, but for French Canadians, I think it's you know Jean J Baptiste Jean or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Jean J Baptiste or something like that. And all of them had their you know Quebec flags outside of the stadium. They score that overtime goal. The crowd goes nuts. The player, I think it was Lekkonen, um, he just. I think he fell. He tripped on flurry or something. He goes like right into the boards. Everybody just piles on him. That was like by far my favorite memory of that postseason. Uh, it was just amazing to watch. Yeah. But um. But yeah, I had know. a fun time just watching Eric Stahl go on another yeah. run. That yes. was exciting for me, you know. Yeah. Um. But again, if if you guys win this cup, you'll definitely prove yourselves to everybody. Um. Nobody's gonna say this is an asterisk. Um, this is definitely for, you know, this is going to be the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, going back to like the preview of this series. So I, I was contemplating this. I think this series is going to come down to the difference that it was in the Rangers lightning series. I think you have another wash at goal, more or less. I think the defense is a wash more or less. And I think the offenses are pretty comparable. And I think it's going to come down to those electric guys who can who can um, just manifest goals. The McKinnons, the Landis Cogs, the, the Braden Points and the Kucherov kind of thing. And if you look at these two teams side by side and just analyze their components, don't really put numbers or names to anything. These two teams stack up almost identically in that sense. And like I mentioned earlier, those components culminating into one is what makes a, a championship run successful. And both these teams want to do it. You know, Tampa Bay has the experience. Um, but to, to the point that we have just been hammering leading up to this is that they haven't really been facing Western Conference teams that are showing that to them. And so maybe that, that new waters, that uncharted waters of having a, a, a Stanley Cup Finals contender to face off against might really make this an interesting show for us i i I know i said in a group message or i think uh so i started some beef with nick actually on instagram um nick posted some uh some pretty confident statements about tampa and so i reshared it and uh shared some fairly similar confidently uh worded phrases and in the comments but I think you said Tampa in six, and I said Colorado in five. Um, I think that was my heart speaking. I think this one's going a full game seven, and I think game seven is a 50-50. I think it's a coin flip. I think game seven would be the most electric game of hockey we've seen in the last 10 years, too. No, it it would be. Um, So for context, the photo that I put on my story was that it was announced that Brady Point was coming back to game one <laughs> and we all have seen how tampa has played without braden point they've been without braden point since game was it seven or five of the leap series he's been out since round one regardless and they dominated florida which was the best offensive team in the league um and then they went through the rangers um they went down two nothing in a series only to win four straight after that they're a dominating presence and they were doing that all without Braden Point, who I think has scored the most points in the last three postseasons than any other Fitting. player. Fitting. So again, I saw that being announced and I wrote GG's Avalanche. 
it was a great series, but unfortunately you just lost. Um, and then Andy again reposted that to his story and said, don't listen to this guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, <laughs> uh, everybody I say, I say lightning in six. Um, they always tell me, I think this game is, or I think the series is going seven games. I totally see it. But if I could just explain to myself why I think it's going to be in six games, um, I'll allow myself to do so. So here's how I think the series is going to play out. Both teams are going to win their games at home. So by game five, the series is going to be tied 2-2. Mm-hmm. If going the back Lightning, into Colorado now. Going back into Colorado. The Lightning are going to win in six because they're going to find themselves winning on the road. I know that the Avalanche are undefeated on the road, I believe. Um, so they're <laughs> a great road team, but I just... I feel like they are a little shaky at home, um, especially that eight, six game against the Edmonton Oilers. You know, it's, it is alarming when you give up six goals at home uh, to, to a team, regardless of who they are. Um, You definitely want a more tightly knit game, more defensively shown game. Um, So I think that the lightning take game five and then they're going to eventually win it in six. Um, Okay. And then if I, I think this, I think I, I am so adamant that this series goes six games. It won't go seven. I know that's going to break the hearts of some fans. It even breaks my heart because who wouldn't want a game seven in the Stanley <laughs> Cup final. But um, again, to explain it in the avalanche perspective, if they were to win in six games, obviously they would win game five to make the series three, two going into Tampa to then win on the road in game six. So the takeaway is whoever wins the first road game is going to win this series. I personally think that both these teams are going to win their two designated home games. But after that, it's a toss up to see will the Avalanche win game five on the uh, at home or will light the lightning. Um, if the lightning win on home on game five, do does the lightning prevent, um, you know, the Stanley Cup being presented that night in game six or does Colorado uh, and specifically Nathan McKinnon finally win his first Stanley Cup? Uh, that he's been just dying to get. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting, but I'll, I'll go into key. Um, we'll quickly go into like key. What was I going to say? Like key. Oh man. I totally Comparisons? lost. No, it'll be like key reasons. Players? No, like key. Like how, how are these teams going to win? How is Colorado going to beat the lightning and vice versa? How keys is to winning. <laughs> keys to winning. Yeah. I see. This is why keys I, to success. Like, you should. Keys to exi- success. Thank you. Keys to success. I, I couldn't <laughs> even think of that. You talked for like five minutes on the Rangers and I can't even think of keys to success. Um, so I watched game one and I saw a Colorado team in the first period, you know, not dominate. I wouldn't say dominate. But they were up three to one in that game. Um, after the first, they period. controlled. I they controlled control. that first period. Yeah. However, after that first period, they played so conservatively. They gave the Lightning a lot of chances. Um, the ice was more open. I felt they weren't as tightly uh, knit defensive wise, um, and they eventually ended up tying the game three three. And then on top of that. I was starting to get the uh, vibe that, you know, Tampa, like I said previously, kind of plays that steal game where, you know, the game is either tied late in the third or the game is, um, right. you know, they're down, uh, you know, goal 
and then they sneak one in and with you know minutes or seconds left and you're just like son of a bitch you know they just won um i i honestly felt like the lightning were going to do that because i i to me the light or not the lightning to me the avalanche seemed like they just gave up after the first period they thought perfect we only had to play 20 minutes now we're up three to one this game is done um it doesn't end up going that way they ended up going into overtime and very quickly off of a Mikhail Sergachev turnover, um, the Avalanche are able to pot one in and and, uh, and to win uh, 4-3. But like I said, if the Avalanche are going to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning, they're going to have to play a full 60 minutes. This is a Tampa team you do not want to play just 40, just 20, just 35, just 50, you know, or just 58 minutes. 58. Uh, yeah, dude, I was just yeah. about to say, you don't even want to put up a good solid 58 minutes against this team. Yep. You're right. Yeah. You need, and not this, only that, dude, you got to budget 75, 80 minutes of time because you don't know what level of overtime. It's, we already have one game that went to overtime, and it very well could go. I think every game could go to overtime if, if it played out that way. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah. One thing I want to say is I would agree. I would agree that they sort of fell asleep after the first. But I think their coach, I, I'm, this is a vague memory, so don't quote me on this. I thought that their coach spoke to that during the intermission between the second and third. I thought he made the specific comment that he felt his team had checked out a little bit. We needed to get our heads back into this. I thought I remember him making comments like that. And he's another coach that I'm starting to look at. Um, Jared Bednar? Bednar, yeah. Yes, yeah, I, I agree. He's like I think, so the way that you think the series is going to play out, I think that's a very big possibility. The way I think it's going to play out, though, man, I the reason I say Colorado in five is I think similarly. I think Colorado is going to take game one and two at home. I think that they're also going to roll through and steal game three. And so I think the gentleman's sweep is going to happen where they steal game three. Lightning say, no, we're not going down getting goose-egged here after trying to three-peat, right? We're going to win game. Like, I think they will handily win game four. And then I think going back into Colorado, Colorado is going to then generate all that momentum off their crowd and, and seal the deal in game five. That's what my heart says. What my brain says, I think every home team is going to win. and this, We're going to see a seven-game series. That's fair. Um, yeah. But no, I, I would agree that they did fall asleep. I think that they already learned from that, though. I think that I, I would be surprised if you see that again. I would expect a full 60 minutes from here on out from Colorado. And if I'm yeah. wrong in game two, I'll default to you. And I would say that, yes, you will probably be right. Tampa could take this in six. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's a key to me for only the Colorado Avalanche because we saw how it played out in game one. You know, you let Tampa right back in that game. If if they played a, a full 60 minutes and that game probably ends 5-1, maybe 6-2, maybe, you know, 5-2, whatever the case yeah. may be. With the way that Vasilevsky was playing, you know, he let in, I'd say, two soft goals. If they played a full 60 minutes, there's no way that game goes to overtime. And, you know, there's no way... You know, uh, th th there's a chance that the, the Avalanche just steamrolled them. But instead, they took their pedal. They took their foot off the gas. The Lightning got into it, and they only lost by one goal. Um, you know, so it keys to, to right. the Avalanche is 
just make sure you play a full 60 minutes. You know, you can't give this this Tampa team an inch. If you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile. They're not taking two and, yards. They're taking and when a they mile. give you an inch, when they give you an inch, take a mile from them because yes. you you made mention of it. You can't, you know, goals against Vasilevsky come at a premium, but bad goals against Andre Vasilevsky are damn near non-existent. They yeah, don't it's exist. Just not it's void. Right. Right. So when you yeah. can get one or two of those goals in a game, take it to the bank, man, and don't let go. To your point, don't take your foot off the gas. You have that guy rattled. If you do it at home, you have the crowd getting him gone. You have the crowd completely rattled. And he's a t- he's the type of goaltender that when you put goals past him like that, he shows it on his face. You see it in his eyes. And it's like it's almost like it's getting under his skin and he's just trying not to let it. And the more that you put keep the pressure on and the more pucks you throw on net and the more opportunities you create for that stuff, the more you're going to throw him off his game. And that's the that's the key to beating an elite goaltender is keeping them off of their game because what do I always say? a characteristic of an elite goaltender is it's the ability just to remain calm and bounce back when things don't go your way. And Vasilevsky is one of the best at doing that. That's what makes him one of the best goalies in the NHL. Forget about the numbers. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I'll give you a second key to success for the Colorado avalanche. Um, this was actually provided to me by a friend of mine, um, his name's Declan. He is in uh, the hockey group chat on Instagram that I sometimes mention. Um, mm. But he and I were talking last night after the game. Um, what we what we think uh, Colorado needs to do in order to win. So that's where I got my play a full 60 minute. You'll find yourself beating Tampa. He disagreed with me and said Kemper just needs to be better than Vasilevsky. Uh, uh-huh. And he needs to play very well. And I, I, I disagreed with him in that sense because I just said that's too much of an ask for a guy from Kemper. Um, totally agree. In in order to to, Kemper is going to have to play out of his mind in order to outduel Vasilevsky. It's just too hard to ask. You're you're not going to see the soft goals in game two that he let up in game one. He's always had a bad game. You might not see him anymore. You might yeah, not see exactly. him anymore at all, you know? Exactly. I mean, you saw it in the Rangers series. He let in nine the first two, and then for the rest of the series, he only let in five, you know? So it's Vasilevsky. Well, speaking of, we have a five-hole goal through Vasilevsky. I know oh, this is a yes. preview, but game one has yes. happened, and they did score a five-hole goal against him. Yes. So his five-hole yes. is now – is now the save percentage through his five hole is no longer a thousand. A thousand, yes, yes. Good stat, good stat. Um, but yeah, he he mentioned that Kemper needs to to be good and he needs to possibly outdo Vasilevsky. I disagreed on him with that, but also I understood his point um, because Vasilevsky. Yeah. We we even mentioned and we always say goaltending is where you make or break. You know, you your team falls with its goaltending. So if it's if your goaltending is subpar your team is going to fall with it. So it does begin with goaltending. I just think it's, it might be too much to ask from Kemper to outduel Vasilevsky. Um, you know, this Colorado team has a lot of talent in front of them, uh, in front of Kemper. You know, we mentioned Kale McCarr, Devon Taves. Um, you know, obviously you have McKinnon. You have Valerie Nachushkin, who, by the way, is probably one of the most underrated two-way forwards in the game. Um, there were a couple times in game one where I saw him create a poke check um 
that led to him sort of on a one-on-one break, sort of on a breakaway-ish. It's kind of tough um, to explain, but basically he was like side to side with the defender, almost about to cut on a breakaway. But at that time, he's like at the hash mark. So um, he's not necessarily on a breakaway, but you get my point. He's he's causing turnovers. And, you know, when he causes a turnover and starts breaking towards the net, he is a threat to score. He scored in game uh, one, and he, uh, I mentioned earlier, he was determined to be the best player out of the two teams in that game. So I just think he's a very underrated uh, player. Um, so, you know, th- there's a lot of keys to success for the Colorado Avalanche, but I think they just need to keep it simple. You know, they have the speed for sure. McKinnon is very fast. Kel McCarr is very fast. Um, even Landis Cog, who's a little bit, uh, he, you know, he's older, so he's not as fast, but you know, they, they got other speedy guys and you also have to, you also have to remember that, uh, Kadri is on the IR right now, but there's a chance he can return. So they're even without Kadri right now. I feel like if Kadri comes back, um, if he can play his game, um, just like he was against the blues, just like it, he was against, uh, who are they playing? Oh, against the, um, predators, you know, you'll see how, how much of an impact he can have. Um, with this this Colorado Avalanche team. Um, so we haven't seen this Colorado Avalanche team at its full potential because, uh, like I said, it's missing Kadri. Uh, if they get him back, it's going to be a it's it really is going to be a stellar series. I'll tell you that right now. I'm very excited to see this series. Um, and, you know, to me, it's just two simple keys to to um, Colorado's game. I, I think it you know, even though we disagree with um, Declan's point, I think he does he does mention a good point because Kemper, um, you know, he he hasn't been all that great in this postseason. So, you know, it, it is time for him to step up, step it up. You know, um, this is the Stanley Cup Finals, and you're you're facing Vasilevsky and Net. You know, it's it's a big ask to say, hey, you got to be better than that guy across the rink. But you know, it's it's. It is fair to say, hey, you know what? You need to be better than what you've been in the past. Um, I know that the Colorado Avalanche swept the uh, Oilers, but again, game one was 8-6. Well, he was injured. Yeah, and he was injured and, for most of the Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I forgot that. My bad. Um, but, you know, he, he's, he's had some shaky games for sure. So in order for him to sort of step it up, um, you know, I do see Declan's point. You know, he, he, he it's Stanley Cup final. He's got to step I, it up. I think he. I think that makes a great point. I, I just don't think it's a key to winning. I think it's a key. It, it would be a key to success. It could help you, but I don't think it's the way that they win the series. I don't think it's That's the fair. only method for them to win. I think Correct. it would be super beneficial. And I think if he does that, I think it's almost assured that Colorado wins. If you if you have a goaltending duel and your goalie outplays Vasilevsky. You have an you have a, an incredible opportunity to take a series, in my opinion. But I don't think it's necessary. I think that he, I think that they can complete it without having, without relying on Dar. Because then you're relying on Darcy Kemper to have the performance of a lifetime at the biggest stage in the NHL in hockey, arguably. Um, and I think that's a little unfair especially because this is their first appearance and really their first postseason in the last five or six years that has had the amount, the, the success that has been expected of it. Um, but no, I think, I think the full 60 minutes is going to be key, even though I, I sort of have 
argued that i think when you brought it up but i think i was saying that they i think that they've recognized that that key that that is a key to success and so i hope that they learned their lesson the easy way right they let a team back into a game the, the game but went they to still overtime won. But they still won. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So nope. that's a good learning moment. You didn't, you know, you didn't get, <laughs> I guess you didn't get shot in the foot by your mistake and you got to learn from it still. Um, but it's, it's a wound that needs to heal. Fast. Exactly. Fast. Exactly. Um, no. Yeah. Yep. I'm trying to think of like other, other. Honestly, things. I think it I think is just the defensive scoring could come down to it too. Whose whose defense is more productive? We'll see. Um, yeah, honestly, to me, and I think it's just really simple. Um, you know, from what I saw in game one, I think it's enough for me to to come up with just keys to success. You know, play a sixty minute game if you're the Avalanche, and then um, maybe you can add, make sure you you contain Braden Point and Kucherov for that matter. You know, um, their power play is clicking lately. Uh, it was it started to click in that Rangers series, especially, and a big proponent of that was Kucherov, and he's always a deadly threat on that power play. Um, so a key to success for, and you know I'll mention it here, a key to success for both teams is make sure you don't take penalties because these teams are deadly on the power play. Um, well, you know that that kind of goes without saying, and I was actually just having a thought around that because I didn't want to just say that. What no, I true. wanted to say as far as penalty goes, a key to success for Colorado is to get Tampa in the box. Because yeah. look look at John Cooper the other night, man. That was – I had it on mute. I, I watched game one on mute, and it was entertaining. Cooper was in his own head that first half of the game, man. And if you can do that again, if you can stay out of the box, but Tampa – might not that's going to be huge because you're getting under the coach's skin and he's the guy who's supposed to be you know not being emotional he's supposed to be the guy who stays calm regardless and and can steer the team through those emotional bouts but if you're getting under his skin who do they have to fall back on you know so i Uh, think a key to the game is not just staying out of the box but making sure you get you put yourself in situations where Tampa can put themselves in the box kind of thing. And that's probably harder to do than, than just staying out of the box, but they did it in game one. And and I thought that that was really beneficial to them at the start of the game. Yeah, that's fair. Um, As far as Tampa's keys to success, man, I, because they're back-to-back Stanley Cup champions, because they find themselves in their third Stanley Cup appearance in the last three years, you know, I think they already know what their keys to success are, and it's just play their game. Yeah. Um, I know it's, I know it's, I think it's simple for both teams to their keys to success. It's just a matter of execution. Um, you know, can can the Avalanche execute a full 60-minute game? Um, you said that they've learned from it. And now it's time to prove it. You know, game two, make sure you play a full 60 minutes. If you're up three to one, continue to try and score. That whole second period, I felt like Colorado was defending, you know, and that puck was right. always in their always in their defensive zone. Make sure that doesn't happen again. Make sure you're still trying to score at the other end. Um, 
we, to your we point, made it, there's nothing after this. You have nothing to yeah. save your energy for. So leave it all right. out. Right. You're, you um, make a good point. Last year, we made an episode on the art of the lead and how teams get way too conservative in the regular season and in the postseason. Uh, how when they have this lead, they they just seem to squander it every single time because they'll sacrifice offensive chances to be more of a defensively tight team. But you can only play that game for so long to where your defense starts to get worn out. There's holes in your uh, your zone coverage, you know, trying to yeah. keep people out of the neutral zone. It's so hard to play that game. And especially when you're up three to one after the first period, you're asking your team to play 40 straight minutes of nothing but shutdown defense against Tampa. Right. Don't be silly, you know. You're you're playing within someone else's chaos, and that's very difficult to do. Whereas if you played the full 60 minutes, you could be the one who's creating the chaos for the other team to deal with, and that's a much easier setting to ho to hold on to a lead. Or I think the phrase we look we used in that episode was lean into your lead, yes. um, and 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 stack onto it, or or at the very least, if you're you know if you're playing that full 60 minutes and nobody's scoring at least you're killing time in your offensive zone where a goal against is has the probability of probably 0. 0.0001 or yeah. less yep because it would yeah. take a delayed penalty and a misfire pass that goes all the way down the ice and in to be a goal against so no that is 100%. another good point the more time you eat up there's a finite amount of time for a team to score and the more time you spend in your offensive zone just get, takes away from the opportunity for them to score. It's sort of, it's sort of, I guess the equivalent to football would be, you know, clock management where you, where yes. you try and keep your offense out there for the maximum amount of time when a game is winding down, because the less time their offense has to work with the better for you. It's sort of a similar situation. It's just that in hockey, the defense and offense is on the ice at the same time. Right, right. Um, and like I said, keep playing your game. This, is, this isn't a new arena. This isn't a new playing field for them. They've been in this position for two years now, um, and this will be their third year now that they find themselves in a uh, position to win. They know what it takes. They have the experience to do so. Um, you know, so Tampa, it's simple. Keep playing your game. You're going you're gonna to find chances um, to win. Uh, you know, maybe a key to success is, you know, a road win. Like you said, you feel like, if yeah. this, you know, you feel like this game goes seven and if it goes seven, that means every team has won their home uh, game. So a key to success for Tampa, um, because we specifically mentioned um, the Colorado Avalanche coming into the Stanley Cup finals were 12 and two and they were undefeated on the road. Um, so you know, a key to success for them is try and squeak or try and steal that road game. And I felt like they, they almost did that in game one. They really mm -hmm. almost did. They brought it all the way to overtime in a game after the first period where people were probably thinking, okay, you know, looks like Colorado might take over here. But no, they, they did not allow them to take over. They kept themselves in it and they gave them a chance to win on the road, you know, so and I think that was incredibly obvious, and that's why I say I think Colorado has learned their lesson the easy way. Though. Yeah. Yes. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, you would not want to see that same performance from Colorado um, in game two for sure. Again. 
Um, yeah. You know, you, you might want to see a rebound game where, again, it's it's 3-1 after the first, but at the end of the game, it's 5-2. to two, You know, and you're like, okay, Colorado learned their lesson. They they kept their foot on the gas, and they, yeah. they didn't allow themselves to keep uh, Tampa in the game. Because that's what I thought they did. You know, it is a credit to Tampa that they were able to stay in that game. But it's also to say that, you know, the Avalanche gave them that opportunity to, to stay in the game by not trying to score after that or run the score up. Um, so I, I I think it's pretty simple for these teams on how to beat each other. Uh, it's just a matter of execution. Um, like I said, it's it's just a matter of can Colorado play that 60 minute um, game? Can Tampa win it on the road? Can they steal one in Colorado? Um you know, it, it just depends because Colorado is undefeated on the road. So you want to make sure that you win your home games and don't give them a, a road win. Uh, and if you do give them a road win, then you got to make sure you win on the road. So, you know, we mentioned a lot of keys to success for these teams. And, uh, you know, regardless of how it, it plays out, this is going to be a fantastic game. I'll tell you that. Uh, or a fantastic series, I should say. Um, however, I do want to mention right here, unrelated to um, these teams, I guess, we are going to suffer as hockey fans if ESPN has the Stanley Cup final every single year for as long as they sign that broadcasting rights for. <laughs> I, th- I think they signed it for eight years. I think it was an eight-year deal. And I am begging uh, that there's some way in that contract that they can give it to TNT or another um, entity besides them. Yeah. Another network. I cannot stand Ray Ferraro. I I cannot stand him. Um, You know, it's fun watching these games. It's, it really is. It's a blast. But then you hear a comment like him when clearly Landis Cog. Okay. The most frustrating thing apart about this is Cameras are obviously, you know, recording what's happening and he has a TV right in front of him that he can look at that he does look at when he breaks down games. Now, I understand people make mistakes when they commentate. It happens to everybody. It's not just Ray Ferraro, but with this broadcast, it just seems like everybody is slipping up, making mistakes. Um, For example, Ray Ferraro is looking at Miko Ranton and shoot the puck. And this was Colorado's. Oh my gosh, was it the first goal? It was Landis Cog's goal where Miko Rantanen shoots it. It goes under Vasilevsky's glove. He thinks he has it, but it's loose. And um, Landis Cog is fighting with a Tampa player. I want to say it's it was goal. Hagel. Okay, it was the first goal. I know it was Brendan yeah. Hagel because I watch a guy break down these goals. He's a blast to watch. Um, and Hagel had position on Landis Cog. Then he loses it. Landis Cog gets free. He taps it in. And he's watching this, you know, when they when they score a goal, there's like typically three replays of it, all different angles. And he's watching all these angles and he goes, yeah, so, you know, Ranton and shoots and scores. And, you know, that's not that's a goal that Vasilevsky is going to want to have back. And I'm just sitting there going like, dude, that is not Ranton. And Ranton, yes, took the shot, but it didn't go in. Landis Cog was right there to, you know, tap it in, you know. It's a mistake that easily can be avoided. It's an unforced error. And again, when you have the resources in front of you like he does, 
it's kind of unacceptable for me as a fan to have to sit through this and listen to him make mistakes on multiple occasions. Um, I believe I, I mentioned in to, in the group chat in the Rangers lightning series, um, he made a comment. I think it was in game two or five uh, that if you're going to beat Shesterkin or Vasilevsky, you have to beat them up top. Um, and I mentioned to Andy and, and everyone in the, in the uh, group chat that I'm in, I go, does this guy like not understand that Shesterkin has let in like 12, five old goals. And not only that second place is like a country mile behind Far him. beyond yeah. like second place was, I think seven, five hole goals. And I couldn't remember the goaltender, but I'm just thinking, I'm like, dude, are you stupid? Like there's data that proves you wrong. And you're doing this on a national broadcast. Like, I hate to be so hard on it, but you know, just it's easy homework to do that. Um, you can reference. Well, here's the, so, and here's the thing for me, man. It's like, I know it's like new for these guys and, and not for Ferraro. That's why I'm not giving him a pass. Oh, it's not. Okay. Well then here, let me change that up because I think, I don't know if anyone saw it, but Doc Emmerich had a quote um, that that had the sentiment of, you know, this, this broadcast, if it's going to appeal to the NHL community needs to be improved in some manner, yeah. some capacity. And I think it really does start. There's a lot graphically and, and just um, user wise as far as the streaming service goes that I have issues with, I guess, technical, I would roll that all up in like technical flaws and technical fixes that need to be addressed. Okay, but, yeah. um, but I think the, the biggest thing for me is to your point, it's incredibly hard to be watching a game and hearing people miss calls name wise you know mixing up names mispronouncing names that are big names that everybody knows from saying for the one that comes to my mind is Sveshnikov was called Svechnikov a lot I don't know where the R came from maybe Ferraro took one from his name and added it in I don't know but <laughs> but there's, you know, there are hockey commentators out there, and I know ESPN is a sports network, and they've never been in on hockey. But can you go out and get some of these people, you know, like Forsland, talk to Emmerich, um, Gary Thorne, Jack so. Edwards? I'd rather, I'd rather listen to Jack Edwards at this point over Ray Ferraro because at least if Edwards goes to ESPN, he'll now be a national guy, and he'll probably never get assigned a Bruin team. So at least maybe we'll see him in a setting where he's non-biased. Um, and at least we'll be getting correct calls, right? No, so that's, that's fair. That's my input there. Um, I wanted to mention it here because they have the Stanley Cup finals. Um, like I said, I think they have it for the whole contract that they signed. Because um, TNT was sort of like a lesser... Uh, network that got a deal with the NHL, but that the ESPN deal was the biggest deal that happened. Um, but uh, the last point I'll make about this was in Doc Emmerich's um, statement, he also mentioned why he didn't understand ESPN reach out to Gary Thorne. Um, if you watch any old footage of um, ESPN highlights, I know I've watched a few. And really from the, like the early 2000s, 
a lot of them will be ESPN um, broadcasts. And Gary Thorne is the is the main uh, broadcaster on those. And he didn't understand why the ESPN didn't make an effort to reach out to him um, because he's, again, a well-knowledgeable um, hockey broadcaster. He's done it in the past. He's had experience. So that was another one of his um, main, like, gripes with the whole ESPN broadcast. Um, I also feel like it's catered way too much for fans that are brand new. Um, sometimes when a penalty is called, uh, they explain it. Like, I believe the other night when Pat Maroon flipped the puck over the uh, glass, they mentioned that it was a delay a game, and then they explained what a delay a game was. And it's just like the delay – I hate to break it to you, but the delay of game penalty has been in the league for a while now. And, you know, if you're ex having to explain it on your broadcast, that just goes to show the demographic you're trying to reach. And I don't know if that's where you want to like, I don't know if that's what you want to cater to. You know, I understand that you want to bring in new fans, but, you know, yeah. it's just it's annoying to I, have to keep hearing what this penalty was, what an offsides is, what this is, what that is. Like, I, I get why you're doing it, but it's just. I don't know. Hockey is a very small community, and I feel like the community that watches the Stanley Cup Finals aren't new to the sport. I'll just say that. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, they are trying to grow the sport, so that's why they're doing that. And I get it. It is the finals. This is the point where the most non-fans will be watching. So that I kind of take in stride. I really want them to address the commentary or the technical issues first. Both of those things need to be addressed. I need a shot clock counter, and and I think they'll be doing something. But I expect them to make changes. This was the inaugural year. Yeah, um, that's fair. They're a multi-billion-dollar corporation, so you got. You, let's see how year two goes. But yeah, yeah, they, they definitely have started pretty low. <laughs> yep. No, they have. Um, and a shot tracker would be perfect, like you said. That would be phenomenal. When we when you watch the TNT broadcasts, they have it up 24-7 until the game ends. But with ESPN, I'll be watching sometimes, and I'll just be like, you know, what are the shots at? I feel like Tampa's getting a lot of shots right now. But when you see the shot clock, or damn it, Andy, you got me screwed up now. When you have the shot tracker, uh, when they show the shots on goal, it's like, you know, <laughs> 11 Colorado to seven Tampa. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So I was wrong. I, I it looked to me like Tampa was getting a lot of shots in. Um, but if I had that tracker on there, I could just look at the tracker look at the score and go, yeah, that makes sense to me. You know, sometimes teams that are just throwing pucks on net willy nilly, um, they seem to go in and they can sometimes be high scoring. Um, so it's just nice to have that. So you have a comparable of, where the teams are at and, you know, why the score might be the way it is. But, um, yeah, just want to mention that here. Uh, you did mention it is the first season. It's, it's room to improve and it's, it's good that they, um, have had criticisms from doc Emmerich, a former broadcaster himself. And I'm hoping that the fans kind of just like how we're doing here, kind of give their input to, uh, let ESPN, have a good broadcast because, you know, none of us want to sit here and, and see, you know, have to sit through these bad broadcasts. We personally want to see it better. It would be nice to have ESPN have these great broadcasts. You know, they're like you said, they're a multi-billion dollar sport. Um, 
network. It would be great that uh, their standard of, of broadcasting for the NHL is phenomenal um, to help grow the sport even more. Um, you know, Doc Emmerich was popular for his famous calls with NBC, and it, it was fun to watch a, a game on televised on NBC because there was a chance he would be calling the game. So I hope that they can get that with their sort of in the future, you know, if they decide to make changes or allow other um, commentators to come on. Like, for example, I love Kenny Albert, but I think he does the TNT broadcasts. Um, so we'll end it there. Uh, we'll see how the Stanley Cup finals goes. Like I said, we uh, we mentioned our our uh, predictions for the uh, Stanley Cup final here. Um, let us know what yours is. Uh, I'll be interested to see how many um, answers we get as far as lightning versus avalanche. I feel like I've seen a lot of people favor the avalanche. Um, I don't know if they're voting based on just their, what their heart desires or what they really think will happen. Cause my heart desires Colorado, but my brain is telling me lightning in six. So we'll see how things go. Um, without further ado, uh, my, we appreciate my heart is uh, avalanche in five and my brain is avalanche in seven. So <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Hey, you know, I like it. I like it. At least you're consistent on both uh, accounts. Um, but, you know, without further ado, yeah. uh, enjoy these, these, uh, this final, like we are uh, game two will be tomorrow, Saturday, I believe at 8 PM. So go check it out. Um, I encourage everybody to watch it. This is probably going to be the best finals since, I can't even tell you when um, these teams are so evenly matched. They're so high octane offense, you know, you know, just Vasilevsky is an insane goaltender to watch. Kale McCarr is an incredible defender to, to watch. So please, by all means, watch these, uh, watch this series. If you're not a hockey fan, you know, to get into it, because these are, this will be a good experience for you t as a fan to watch two powerhouses go up against one another. But uh, without further ado, um, you know, we're wrapping up this episode here. Like I said, enjoy the series. I know me and Andy will. And uh, as always, peace, peace out. out.